Fox Field. You got him. In this corner with Brian Campbell returns with the Pro Wrestling Edition as we live up to our lofty standards of being the best podcast there is, the best there was, and the best there will ever be at delivering that unmistakable dose of performance-enhancing audio. That's the best of the best of the best of the best of the best that this world has to offer. That's, that's what I just said, Brock. The Brian Campbell, in fact, the voice that you hear just about ready to usher in yet another episode of Combat Audio you simply won't want to miss. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. Some people don't like us or like this show because we do one thing and one thing only above all else. Come out here week after week after week and tell the truth. And that's the truth. And sometimes telling the truth means we get caught up in that old Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels debate a little too long. And sometimes that makes people believe we don't have anything nice to say about the, the great Bret Hart. And I think that I deserve a little respect around here. You're damn right, Bret. So this week, we give you that respect. We give you 40 minutes of Bret Hart unplugged, uncensored, and as real and raw as it gets, talking about the new documentary, 350 Days, that hits theaters for one night on July 12th, and Brett pulling no punches on everything from slugging Vince McMahon to the legacy of his brother Owen to what really happened in that backstage fight with Shawn Michaels. We're talking about Bret Hart dropping bombs here, so you don't want to miss. Look, folks, we don't often do that Barry Horowitz and pat ourselves on the, on the back unless it's in fun like the open of the show. But this interview brings it in maybe, just maybe, has me changing my tune on certain parts of my opinion on the man who claims to be the excellence of execution. By the way, it's also listener's choice this week on Pay-Per-View Rewind, and we have Brett himself reliving that great SummerSlam cage match against his brother Owen from 1994, so make sure you check that out later in the show. It's also a holiday week, folks, so we're recording this on a Tuesday, which means the show will flow a little bit different than normal. We won't be reacting to what went down on SmackDown Live, but we'll be going lightning round on Hero or Zero later on to break down what happened on Raw and also answer your DMs. I see an angry man across from me, so I better welcome him in without any further ado. Say hello to the bad guy. It's very simple. He's a man who just wants to be heard. He's the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Hey, now. Yeah, I want to be heard, and I need to wait six minutes just to say my first word on this podcast, and this coming from a guy who not just gets Bret Hart's signature line wrong, but calls Ric Flair Brock Lesnar to open the show. What's what's going on with you, BC? That was Brock Lesnar talking, the best of the, the best. best of the best. best? That's Ric Flair, is it not? No, that's the Brock Lesnar sound drop. Come Play on, Silver King. Play it again. You know what I'm talking about right here. You, you, think, uh, you think the soundboard's so small that I can suddenly find a, a, a sound <laughs> drop after I've played it? You that's just played the best it. of the best of the best of that's Brock come on come on I mean let's do this what? right let's do this but it's not Ric Flair so so please come on I mean I, I'm the guy who puts the sound drops together we know who show this is what is this that from is that's Brock show. Lesnar it's from a, a Brock Lesnar promo from back in the day you know if he was on TNA I'd pull it from TNA because you know I love grabbing those sound of drops of course because why because why you know pull sound drops from shows we actually watch that still exist let's oh, go this TNA guy, this, uh, impact right? this salty Silver King already here but Silver okay. King you can't be this salty on Bret Hart week because we got a lot of big time audio to drop and Adam we've also been telling people for weeks about this big time thing if you're a sports fan if you're a pro wrestling fan I noticed I didn't say sports entertainment because you know 
what we feel about that word, the, the, that, that title, that... I am sick of sports entertainment. I'm right with you, Joey Styles. But when you're watching pro wrestling, you got to have a Roku streaming player. That device, you plug into your TV, you unlock thousands of live streaming and on-demand channels, including, of course, the free CBS Sports app, because you want to watch our good handsome brother Nick Costos in, in fine sparkling HQ each night. You want to see BC talk about fight sports as well. Check me out today, by the way. Hey, 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 hey. But Adam, this is the real deal. You have subscriptions to any of the professional sports leagues apps. They're available on Roku. You can stream them right to your TV. Heck, stream, uh, stream them everywhere. You got me hooked up on this. Now I can't get away from this. Roku's taking over my life. No, it's the best. And, you know, I, this isn't coming from someone who doesn't have experience with other streaming players. I've used them all. I've owned them all or, or used them here in the office. We, we have a full assortment of them. And the Roku is the simplest to use. It's tiny. It sits either behind your TV or somewhere out of sight. The remote is incredible. I never even talk about the remote and the fact that you're able to plug in headphones to the remote, depending on what unit you have, and listen to audio off the TV where other people in your household, maybe your wife is sleeping, maybe your kids are sleeping, don't have to listen to it. So I need that. You can I need that part. Per- I need that part, yeah, by the way. The you kids need doing one, homework. Yeah. I, I want to I listen to the, uh, to the, to the ITC here. I want to get just drips and drops of that performance-enhancing audio all over me. Was that gross? That was gross. I mean, it's always gross, but listen, they have so many different players that you can purchase. The good news is they start as low as $29.99. That's just to get in with the streaming stick. That's the main one I have in my living room, but there's HDR options. There's a million other versions. 4K, if you have a 4K TV, you can get one of those. Like I said, they start at $29.99, go up from there, and you can access hundreds of thousands, TV, movies, sports leagues, anything you want to watch. Roku delivers for you. It's very easy to purchase and find out more as well. All you have to do, you go to Roku.com, R-O-K-U.com, and start streaming today. Well, we are about to throw it to the main event like we always do, but take you behind the fourth wall, CM Punk. This guy, Silver King, so fired up, he wants to talk about Raw. I said, Silver King, Raw's got to wait. Nobody liked Raw this week. Raw was the worst. We got to get to Bret Hart. I mean, come on. Yeah, nobody liked Raw. That's why I want to talk about it, because I hated it. I'm fuming. You see me. I'm ready to go on Raw, but... Yes, uh, Bret Hart, you know, not only do you have the almost 40-minute interview with him, but Pay-Per-View Rewind obviously features him and Owen Hart in SummerSlam 94, that cage match. There's plenty to talk about, and really, I just consumed all of this content myself over the last 72 hours. So Bret Hart is rattling around in the brain, and I say we get to it with the main event. It's a weird show. It's a backwards edition, but we throw it right to the great Bret Hart. I said great. Of course I said great. Enjoy. The excellence of execution has entered the podcast. Bret Hart, ahead of this documentary titled 350 Days. And Bret, I'm really excited having had a chance to screen it, to get a chance to talk to you about it. The biopic featuring yourself, superstar Billy Graham, and three dozen-plus legendary athletes. Fans will get a chance to see this, which is really cool, in movie theaters nationwide on July 12th at 7 p.m. local time. More ticket and info can be found at fathomevents.com. But, Brett, 350 days, it's all about the grueling life on the road for a professional wrestler. Tell me about your involvement in this project and why you wanted to. Well, you know, it's it's a project that started out, I think, a long time ago, as you could tell by so many wrestlers that are no longer with us that they were starring in it. Um, it just took uh, forever to... to to kind of reach completion, you know, so I, I barely remember doing the interview. It's something I kind of kept hearing about that. It was 
that was still in progress that it was being edited and so it's been a long road to get this thing to where they have it now where it's finally finally ready for for the public viewing kind of thing but i i'm i was always um happy to tell my story um i think when i look at this documentary i see a passion that comes out in so many of the wrestlers that they're so proud of what they accomplished and and the life they had as wrestlers and i think you could see the hardship aspect of it on one hand and now you know there was often not, not a lot of reward for for the pain and suffering that they went through and the very tough way to make a living and being gone as much as we were and failed marriages and drug problems and injuries and you know i think all of that comes out in uh you know in 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 in, in real in deep clarity through the whole through the whole show but i will say this much that i don't feel that it's right for anyone to categorize categorize me as a, as a wrestling tragedy or somebody that blew all his money and has nothing left today or but his memories. That's not how I see myself. Sure. I, I think of myself as a guy that was a survivor of wrestling. I survived it mentally and physically. I, I've got my share of injuries and I've had battles that uh, may or may not have anything to do with wrestling. Suffered a stroke in 2002. I uh, had cancer, prostate cancer, just two years ago. That on both counts, I think what could very well have been death sentences. I somehow, with the grace of God, I survived them. And uh, you know, I, I look back on my wrestling career with uh, with great pride. Um, wrestling was always um, what I think I love about this documentary is it sort of takes you back before WWF and before the big pay-per-views and the big glamour and sort of wrestling sort of seen today as a very glamorous, uh, different kind of um, world from what uh, Ox Baker and Greg Valentine and Jimmy Snook and myself, we, we, we remember I started out um, in uh, my first wrestling day started out in 1978, 79, around that same time period. And all those guys were wrestling. I remember Ox Baker. I can remember Jimmy Snuka. And I remember Greg Valentine all well just prior to me getting into wrestling. I know they were all sort of starting. They were all ahead of me. And uh, But, you know, there was a certain love for what we did and a certain respect, which came from, you know, the real toughness that wrestlers had. You know, having respect for a guy like Jimmy Snuka was just um, – you know, something that you, you know, it was all part of how you saw wrestling and you, you had this respect for each wrestler for, for what he brought to the game and what he brought to the business. And, you know, I remember wrestlers talking about Jimmy Snuka, for example, about what he looked like when he first started. And he was like this Adonis, you know, the Philippine or no, this Fijian, uh, you know, goddess or God that had this amazing physique and, uh, he could swim like a fish and jump off the cliffs in Fiji and was an amazing surfer. And, you know, just the body he had, his arms and his physique and all that. It was all before uh, steroids and before, oh, yeah. you know, it was a whole different world back then. And you, you sort of appreciate where that kid left those islands of Fiji to go to a whole other part of the world and, 
become the superstar. And, you know, there's an interesting journey with, with each wrestler, whether it's Jimmy Snooker, whether it's the mass superstar, or it's Greg Valentine, or it's Ox Baker. Uh, everybody's got a different story. Everyone's got a different take. And I appreciated the, the wrestlers that were able to speak candidly about their lives and um, what they why and what they loved about the business and why they got into it and why they still love it despite all the hardships and injuries and problems they got from it. Yeah, that's the cool part of the film. It. You have that that balance between showing the the grueling reality and showing that love, whether it's from like you mentioned, interviews with Snooker or the late George the Animal Steel before his death. And do you think there's any lesson that can be learned, Brett, from the business in this? Because even though the schedule today may not be as grueling for WWE's top superstars, they still seem to be doing almost an archaic workload. I, You know, I, I think it, that um, the schedule today is still pretty hard, but I don't think it's anywhere near as hard as what, what I was going through in the 90s. You take Bret Hart's schedule 1990, and I'll put it up against any wrestler in the WWE today, whether it's... Uh, Seth Rollins or Triple H or whoever. There's nobody who's got a schedule like what what we were getting in the 90s. I think that um, the only thing I wish is that the wrestling like WWE would t- take a, make a better effort to take better care of the wrestlers that paid the um, the ultimate sacrifice for them. It's different when like when when they weren't making money, say, or there was. Things are different, but there's so much money being made by wrestling today that you think um, the WWF could maybe fix Marty Jannetty's ankle for him. And sure. say, hey, you know, we'll, we'll pay for the surgery to fix your ankle for you. Or, um, you know, any wrestlers that got injuries that relate to, and clearly have injuries that relate to their, their years in the business. You know, why don't they take, instead of spending hundred million dollars on Donald Trump's uh, political campaign. Maybe if they take hundred million dollars and put it towards uh, some kind of fund for wrestlers um, oh, that's or insurance fair. or even, uh, or even uh, you know, I think that uh, the wrestlers really need a union. I've always said that they need a union um, and I don't know why they don't have a union. Circus performers have a union. Bull riders have a, a union. Every every conceivable organization and any sport organization has a union. But pro wrestlers don't have one, and nobody, you know, nobody will step forward to give them one. And you think with all the money they have to blow on uh, political parties and. Uh, I mean, that's a know, that's a about- very fair fair point to make, Brad. And, I, and I'm curious in sort of transitioning, and that is where where are you at relationship wise with. WWE and Vince McMahon today. Is there a dialogue? I mean, you are brought back for certain legend events, but are you happy with the relationship now? Uh, we have a good rapport. I, I, I talk to Vince um, on a fairly regular basis. We we we're, um, we text each other if it's my birthday and Merry Christmas, and we're on good terms. And I, I don't see myself as I've always learned from from Vince. I, it goes back to when Pillman died or not Pillman um, Chris Benoit died years ago um, they were calling around getting different media sound bites from different wrestlers at that time and I gave some different sound bites and I got a call from uh, Vince McMahon that was in uh, 
um, 2000 or whatever. And, uh, 2000, what is it? 2007 when Benoit did all that right. horrible murder and all that. But, uh, I had Vince call me and he thanked me for some of the stuff I was saying in the media. And I remember I told him, I said, I had a book coming out and he said to me, and I always remember, he said, you say anything you want about me. You've earned the right to speak to your mind. You can say anything you want about the business, me, my family, anything that you feel you want to say. You've earned your opinion and you don't ever have to worry about saying anything about me that I would take offense to. And so I always speak my mind. I'm not afraid to speak my mind. And I've always often been an advocate for some kind of a union. I still am. I think wrestlers, like the the employees in WWF that work for WWF, WWF, um, they have better benefits than the wrestlers do. And the ones that they should take care of are the wrestlers. Right. And they still don't take care of the wrestlers the way they should. And I think that's a, that's a real shame. I, I, they're going to put a, how many billions of dollars into an XFL, another one. And we all know that's being paid for by wrestlers and the, by the wrestling industry. But none of that is going to filter down to all any of the wrestlers. That's going to filter down to a bunch of football players with big padded football contracts, and they're going to have special doctors and special. They get all the things that the wrestlers have never got, and they will be treated like, you know, the finest uh, cattle and you know animals. You know, the, the treatment they will get is heads and tails above what the wrestlers will get. The wrestlers get chicken feet on the bottom, and if they get injured, they get sent off, and that. It's a very cut and dried world for wrestlers. Yeah, it still is all these years later to a certain degree. I think that's interesting, though, that you and Vince still text. There's still the respect there because, Brett, you got off something that many people could only dream of, which is, of course, the infamous clean punch that floored Vince following the screw job. And do you have any regrets that the documentary cameras didn't pick up footage of that? I mean, is there a tape out there somewhere in like your vault sealed that no one's ever seen of you landing that punch? No, no, I wish. Um, it's you know in some ways I'm not so proud of that moment but in a lot of ways I think it was the it was the it was the single moment the defining moment in my lifetime and I you know I have a lot of people second guess you know what I did that day and punching Vance and you know I just you know I, I think it's made me feel good a few months ago when Chris Jericho was on a, a podcast and he was talking about, because uh, everyone talks about it and they always go, oh, Bret Hart should have just done this or Bret Hart should have just done that. Or, but, you know, none of these people that's, that are talking about me, they don't know my circumstances. They don't know what rights I had in my contract that gave me legal precedent. You know, I was I had creative control for my last 60 days. Right there, I'm legally in the right to do the things that I stood up for. But really what it came down to was Shawn Michaels uh, had literally came up to me after I told him that I had no problem dropping the belt to him any way they wanted and that he, that he would always be safe in the ring with me and that I had no no problem putting him over. He looked me in the eye and told me, he goes, I just want you to know that I'm not willing to do the same thing for you. And people ask me about the screw job and like why I refuse. It comes down to a professional discourtesy that you know I remember Jericho was saying if some wrestler had said the same thing to him he would have done the exact same thing as me and I think if you check around and ask any other wrestler Steve Austin or Undertaker or 
any of it, any of Dory Funk, Harley Race, and you give him the exact same example that if the wrestler had said that to, to them, what would they have done? They would have taken the exact same position that I did. Right. And um, that's what that's what that whole thing was about. And that was just um, a bunch of bad guys that were up to no good and trying to. When it kind of stings sometimes when I think of how how much I gave to WWF and how they just wanted to stab me in the back that day and sweep me out the back door and and have nobody ever hear me again sort of thing. That everything I did was meant nothing to all those years of taping up injuries and working sick and having like I worked for WWF for at least 300 days a year for for almost uh, 16 years and uh, it meant nothing to them in the end. I was just Does it still hurt does it still hurt? Because sometimes you get labeled and, and you know, you could say it's unfairly, but as a guy who's angry and bitter in, in these years, yet, I mean, at the same time, you tell the truth from your side on everything. Does any of this still hurt all these years later? Um, no, you have to you get past it. You know, uh, you know, when you really, when you go through other struggles in your life, like, you know, like my brother Owen getting killed and, uh, you know, Bulldog getting so many different wrestling friends of mine that have passed away, you know, to having a stroke and almost dying on the, uh, from a stroke years ago and then having my brush with uh, prostate cancer two years ago. It's like, you know, you really, I don't have time to worry about what happened with Shawn Michaels and Vince McMahon and like almost 30 years ago. I, um, I know that uh, what I went through if I had to do all again, I would probably do the exact same things I did. I don't have regret about my behavior. Um, I look at myself as, uh, in some ways, that was my my crowning moment, my moment to to stand up and say I wasn't uh, wasn't gonna. I'm a I'm a businessman too, and I'm gonna protect myself. And you don't have a right to destroy me. Uh, you may have a you may have. Um, a contract that employs me as a wrestler, but you don't have the right to destroy me and rape me. And I think that when I look at what I did and what I stood up for, I believe I stood up for, for all the boys in wrestling. And I think the same kind of could be said about CM Punk as an example that, sure, you know, his standing up and saying, Hey, I'm doing all the work around here. And you're going to give Batista and Brock Lesnar and Triple H, all these guys that are part-timers that are all home every day. They're getting all the main event matches at WrestleMania. And I'm the one pulling the wagon around here. And uh, I want to be in the main event. And they try to sort of sugarcoat that and smooth them over and give offer them everything but a main event spot. And so he quit. Like, he held them up on that. And he, I know I heard some guys one time talking bad about CM Punk in the car, about he, he wasn't one of the boys or something like that. And I'm thinking, he gave up so much to prove a point that you know, for the wrestlers that, you know, if the wrestlers are doing the work, you got to put, put the wrestlers in the main event spots. And he stood on that principle and it, and it lost his job and gave up a, a lot to make that point. But he was right. And he's, he took a bullet for the industry. No question. And I'm glad he won a card case case a few weeks ago. Cause um, I'm sure that uh, there was a lot of um, pressure on him to, 
you know, the Ontario did everything they could to wear him down to break him in that case. Did you feel like a little bit of yourself in CM Punk going through that? Um, yeah, I did. I just the worry. I remember when I punched Vince and they, there was talk for quite a few weeks that Vince was going to sue me for assault and that they were considering charges. And I, and you know, there was a lot of worry about like, Oh, you really screwed up now. Like you punched Vince and you know, like this is an assault and it could be, you could get a record. And I remember like just so many people had so many negative, um, takes on it, which uh, there was there was reason for concern, I suppose. But, you know, at the same time, I just, you know, you got to sometimes do what you got to do as a man. And uh, I sure. I think that day when you really sort of realize how this stuff unfolds so quickly before your eyes and suddenly you're living in this moment where you're, you know, I, I would never believe when I first met Vince McMahon and shook his hand back in, the, in 1984 that I was someday going to be punching him out in the locker room and that I would, you know, a lot of ways change the face of the wrestling world forever just based on what, what I did and how I, how I handled myself. And I think when you look at, look, turn a bright light on my my behavior at that time, you go, Bret Hart's lucky he didn't go crazy and, you know, do worse things. And, uh, you know, they, they what they tried to do to me was quite, quite, um, reprehensible and really cowardly. Um, Brett, do you think uh, we'll, we'll see Owen Hart in the hall of fame before the end of your life? And I think we, we know the reasons why he's not because of the wishes of his widow, but how important is this for you to see this happen? Um, it's pretty important. I, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. I think sometimes that the hall of fame's lost a little bit of its luster anyway. I mean, it seems like you can, about anybody can be in it. It doesn't really matter if you were a great wrestler or what kind of what your accomplishments or what your contribution was to wrestling. What kind of Hall of Fame doesn't have Dynamite Kid in it? Um, what kind of Hall of Fame doesn't have Sweet Daddy Seeky in it? What kind of Hall of Fame doesn't have Bill Eady and Barry Garso, the Demolition? Or true, um, you know the Bulldogs. There's so many great wrestlers that are not in it, and then you have the Rock and Roll Express, who never even made it in WWF, they're in it. Uh, Terry Gordy and the Freebirds, they're in it. When they were too drunk, they make it to most of the towns. They never, they, I was there in the dressing room and Andre the Giant fired all three of them. They were not great role models or hard workers. They were, you know, like you look at the, the people they, they have in the Hall of Fame, even to some of these celebrities that are in there, and you go, I mean, personally, Owen not being in the Hall of Fame, there's a lot of people that belong in the Hall of Fame that are not in it. And if it turns out that the WWE is going to keep becoming a Hall of Fame that caters to suck-ups and people that are in the company that they feel they owe a favor to, but they never contributed to the business uh, as wrestlers, I question the the whole uh, Hall of Fame itself, and I wonder if there will ever be a real Hall of Fame that really haters to the, just the wrestlers, the, the wrestlers for their contributions. WWF, I hope for Vince McMahon and all of them will step up a bit more and start uh, taking care of, from a historical standpoint, the wrestlers that really did make the company. Do you think they um, should go yeah. against the wishes uh, of your family, in a sense, and put Owen in regardless? 
Oh, yeah. I, I think Martha, Owen's widow, she's a very obtuse, uh, square-headed person that can't. Uh, I think she's done more to erase my brother Owen's memory than she ever did to to, to remember him. Um, I think it's a, uh, it's, it really bothers me that the fans that love Owen so much don't get a chance to remember him. You do it for you, you do these kind of things for the people that are here left to remember. I mean, Owen probably will never matter to him that he's in the Hall of Fame, but uh, I think that, uh, you know, it would mean a lot to, to um, different family members in my family. I know that, like, Mark Henry is an example, made a strong uh, speech or talk uh, this past year about getting Owen to the Hall of Fame and, uh, I totally agree. It's like Owen was one of the nicest, kindest, and most adored wrestlers for his for his kindness. Like he's not remembered for his high flying or his, you know, he may be remembered for his practical jokes, but more more importantly, Owen's remembered for the kind of guy he was and being a real friend to a lot of people when they when they were struggling and had problems or got got depressed or he got bummed out about being away from home all the time. Owen was one of those kind of guys that, you know, he just almost like magic. He could pick you up, pick your spirits up and make, make you, you know, smile at something and get through the day. But when I think of what Owen gave to wrestling and uh, how important I think it would be, I think it would be important for Owen to be in the Hall of Fame. Well, we had. I think it would meant something to my dad, and I think it would mean a lot to me. And I, I don't think the Hall of Fame is quite the same without it. But I, yeah, I you can leave Owen out of it. You can leave Dynamite Kid out of it. You can leave some of these great wrestlers out of it. But, but what, why? Why are you leaving them out of it? There's lots of great wrestlers that haven't had their their that haven't got their pat on the back at the Hall of Fame yet. And I, I find it starting to really bother me to the point that I don't know if I'll go to any more Hall of Fame until they start uh, putting in proper uh, deserved candidates. Well, that's fair. And we had Kevin Owens on the show who really gave a, a real heartfelt answer as to why he named his son Owen after after the memory and the stories he heard of the person that Owen Hart was. And I did want to ask you a specific question about the impact of, of blood, of blade jobs. And, like, I can't imagine WrestleMania 8, Roddy Piper, Bret Hart without it. I can't imagine, certainly, WrestleMania 13, Steve Austin, Bret Hart without it. And I know in both circumstances, the, the backstage rumors seem to be that you freestyled and did that on your own. Can blade jobs work today in this PG climate to still have that same impact? Because I feel that void missing. Well, I think you got to go back and fix everything else first. I mean, it's like the, that's the smallest tweak that you're going to make. The blood isn't necessary to having a great wrestling match, but every once in a while, which is the whole point, is that every once in a while, blood can make it better. And uh, like the Steve Austin match wouldn't have been the same without it. And uh, the Piper match might not have been the same without it. And the same with... Um, when I fought Bulldog at the In Your House pay-per-view a few years ago where he, 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 there was blood in that match. But there's certain times when blood can be an important um, um, part of the match. It, it takes the wrestling in a much more serious direction. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't like a lot of gory, stupid wrestling like where it's just gore for the sake of gore. I don't like hardcore 
wrestling I never did. I think it's kind of any any wrestling match where I see wrestlers hurting each other for nothing. I find that whole um, that whole kind of wrestling um, offensive and kind of unprofessional. But there's a way when I look at the match I had with Steve Austin as an example, I just say that I think it's one of the greatest examples of artistry or performance art in wrestling is that match and to to know two guys what i love about the steve austin match that um you know i tell people all the time is that it's it's two wrestlers that like each other a lot that are trying really hard to make each other i'm trying my hardest to make steve austin he's trying his hardest to make bret hart there's no struggling there's no um hidden agendas it's just two guys trying to tell a story with the best and the blood and all that is all i was i was you know it was my greatest movie in the sense that no animals were harmed in the making of that movie it was a very that's how every great wrestling match should be put together anyone that wants to watch wrestling and learn from wrestling should watch that match and uh and that's what um that's what i love about what i did is that i was i was an artist well, it was Brett, never right, my plan ever. Right now, I don't know if you've been watching a lot of wrestling that's going on in Japan, but you had a long history of incredible five-star matches. There's Kenny Omega and Kazuchika Okada in Japan that are doing the kind of matches that people like Dave Meltzer are giving ratings we've never seen before, like seven-star ratings on the matches. Omega, a Canadian like yourself, have, have you watched these? Because I'm sure fans would love to hear your opinion on whether what they're doing today is some of the best work we've ever seen. Well, no, I I don't know, so I'm not I'm not up to speed on a lot of the wrestling over there. But I do know that the style is um, more real. Um, it's not about the promos; it's more about the wrestling, and I, I'm more into that. I, I'm I'm so promoed out. Like when I watch uh, Raw these days, and uh, I see whenever I see Stephanie McMahon come out for. A 30 minute interview I, I usually change I can't change channels fast enough <laughs> I just it just can't take any more these long rambling interviews by whoever like everybody does them and like they're just so somebody some some idiot writes them out in the back and writes them down and every wrestler sounds the same now they all go out with the same stick that the last guy did because it's the same guy writing everybody's interviews there's no nothing genuine about the interviews anymore. The work itself, everyone's forgot. It seems like nobody has any psychology. Nobody sells anything. Nobody, everything is so much harder. Like wrestling is all work, 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 work to get a reaction. It's all high spots and leaping and twirling around. Like nobody fights like that anymore. Nobody ever fought like wrestling's not ballet or gymnastics. It's, it's a different thing. Like you want to see... I don't know. I like I say. I sometimes will watch the old AWA wrestling on uh, ESPN or one of those channels, and I find watching the old timers and the pace that they take and the turning from the referee and he gives the guy a thumb to the throat and the guy goes down coughing and gagging all over the ring and it's like it's just simple psychology, simple just simple bad guy doing bad things to a good guy kind of psychology. But I, I miss that, and when I watch wrestling today, it's it's not giving me any of those things anymore. It's, it, I watch it, I go, that would never happen. And that looks so fake that I can't take it. Sometimes I just got to turn it off. It's like, I think um, 
I just would like the wrestling to be try to be more real. When I see the divas on uh, on the divas show talking about, you know, so and so, one of the girl wrestlers is going to turn heel, and they're all congratulating her on now oh, she gets to be a heel, and then, uh, it's all so contrived. And the, the stuff that I see going on is they've taken the veil off wrestling and exposed it to the point that nobody believes any of it. But I think if you go back and watch Bret Hart, 1997, Steve Austin, when I walk out to the ring, it's it's pretty real. Like my attitude, my look in my eye, the look in Steve Austin's eye, the way we're staring at each other, the work rate, the intensity, it always pretends to be real. And that's what I miss about wrestling today is it's it stopped pretending to be real. It's like they're quite happy to... I couldn't agree more, totally Brett. They, they're quite happy pretending to be phony bullshit and that they accept that as a moniker that it's okay to be phony. It makes me think of when Triple H and Kevin Nash and Shawn Michaels and all these guys did the click thing in the Madison Square Garden and they all hugged and kissed each other in the ring or whatever. I think it says to me a time when these are the same guys that are running wrestling today, Triple H and these guys that they didn't care about the realism of wrestling. It wasn't, wasn't important to them. It wasn't important to Triple H. He was just a bodybuilder. He didn't care about the history and the, the fact that wrestling industry always had a lot of real wrestlers and real tough guys in it. And there was a certain realism that went along with the storylines. But I think they've lost track of the realism in wrestling today. And I wish that would change, but uh, no one, you know, like it has to be changed from uh, the inside, I guess. Very, very fair point. I want to close with this, Brett, and I'm, I'm so grateful for your time. You've been fantastic and, and real. I mean, this is Bret Hart, real matches in the ring, real talk outside of it. You had a real moment. June 9th, 1997, Hartford, Connecticut, the backstage brawl with Shawn Michaels. This is not sports entertainment. This was real life. And, Brett, on this podcast, we always do the Brett versus Shawn debate. It's, it's our shtick. It's our thing. Everybody loves debating you and Shawn and your wrestling primes. But now I want to talk about you and Sean and your backstage fighting primes. What did this fight look like? Can I get a play-by-play? I got to know this, Brett. Um, you know, I don't think either one of us that proud of that fight on a lot of different levels. It was um, it was sort of a pretty silly fight in a lot of ways. It was it all wraps around that sunny days stuff that Sean had said in the ring about uh, implying that I was uh, banging sunny. And I remember kind of went in one ear and out the other when I was in the ring because I had no idea. A, I had to say for the record, I was not banging Sonny ever. And uh, I think Sean was, to be honest. But uh, that's either here nor there. But uh, there was, what really was is, um, you know, Sean had said something about me on TV that was, A, it was not true. And B, it was very hurtful to my 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 kids and my my wife then and my, my father, I remember coming home from that trip. I remember I came back to the dressing room. Sean was, he was all pilled up. If you watch that interview, he's all messed up on pills and clearly not in any shape to be in the ring. And then he made this remark about me having a lot of sunny days or something. And I, I didn't really get it. And I remember Owen and some of the wrestlers came back after they were really upset about it. And then I realized they were upset and that maybe I should be paying a little bit more interest to it. And then I came home from that trip and uh, my dad asked me, first thing he asked me was, 
whether I had something going on with Sonny. And I remember kind of being a little surprised that my dad would even ask me. And then my, when my kids came home from school, they all asked me about whether I had something going with Sonny. I think one of some of my, my youngest son thought it was pretty cool that I was had something going with Sonny. <laughs> but anyway, I, that kind of put me in a bad mood. And I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to straight Shawn Michaels out when I see him, but I had to get my knee operated on, which I had done. I couldn't, um, I was actually supposed to compete in the, the King of the Ring against Shawn. We were going to have a 10, 15 minute match where I, my understanding, I was going to go over in the middle of the ring, but I couldn't do the match. And I was so mad at Shawn that I was kind of trying to pick my, Time when I could uh, confront him about and physically uh, deal with him about what he said about me on TV. And um, anyway, didn't really see Sean until after he ended up having a pay per view with uh, Steve Austin at the King of the Ring instead because it took me out of it because I had knee surgery. So I was only a few days or weeks after my surgery and I was still limping around the dressing room. I was supposed to be off for six months. That was here I was back in the dressing room and uh, and Sean said something to me in the dressing room, and it just kind of set a spark there, and we ended up having a cat fight. I, I had to be careful with my knee that I didn't injure my knee, so I ended up kind of grabbing Sean by the hair, and I think he grabbed me by the hair, and we we kind of did hammer throw wrestling. So I, I, I actually remember dragging Sean around the dressing room by the hair and swinging him around wow. quite violently by the hair. Until Pat Patterson and Jerry Lawler jumped on top of us and separated us. And I can remember pulling out a, quite a quantity of Sean's hair. And it looked like a tumbleweed floating around the dressing room. All his hair came off. But Sean, um, A, he had that coming. And B, um, you know, he provoked it even then in the dressing room by peeking off to me in the, in the bathroom about something. And uh, it just, it was just one of those moments that happen sometimes in wrestling. I don't think either one of us was too proud. It wasn't the greatest fight in the world. I think, you know, it was, it was basically, I always call it a cat fight. It was like two, like a silly kind of cat fight between two, two uh, prima donnas. And uh, I don't think either one of us was proud of it. And I think uh, Sean's drug problems in those days were, were a big part of all, all of his problems back then. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just know that uh, he'd been building for a long time and that Vince uh, told me after it happened that it was his fault, that he should have put nipped it in the bud with Sean, that he, Sean was becoming a monster. But these are all things that uh, I don't know that even proved to be true. Interesting. Hey, Brett, that might not have been the greatest fight, but that was one of the greatest stories ever told right there. Thank you so much for doing so. And I encourage all the listeners to check out this documentary, 350 Days, a one-night-only event, movie theaters nationwide, July 12th, 7 p.m. local time. There's the movie. There's the post-screening Q&A. Ticket and info at fathomevents.com. Brett Hart, thank you, sir, for your time. Big fan of your truth, of your, of your storytelling. Great stuff, sir. All right, thank you. Adam, wow. I don't have a sound effect for bombs being dropped, for explosions going off. I got sirens. I don't know if that was siren worthy, but he didn't He didn't cheapen out, not only on the time, not only on the descriptions, but the straight bombs. There was bombage. Yeah, every 
question you asked, he delivered a uh, lengthy um, and detailed answer, which you have to appreciate because when you're interviewing, it's different when you interview Bret Hart as opposed to um, Bailey, let's say, as an example. Right? Bailey's in it now. She's not reflecting back on her career. She's talking about what's happened over the last you know, four or five years, and there's only so much really detail to go to, and there's not really controversies. When you interview someone like Bret Hart, this is a guy with a decades-long career you know, that started in 1984 in WWF, you know, and, and really kind of still exists because he does make one-off appearances occasionally. And it's someone who has gone through, you want to talk about the ups and downs of the wrestling business? Injuries, loss, um, getting screwed over, you know, by Vince McMahon, if, you, if that's the side of the coin you want to play. And you were able to get through most of it in 40 minutes. And I guess what I took away was you asked him so many great questions and there, and there was so much that he discussed, but I had so many more. And that just goes to show you how what type of career this guy actually had, because you could have easily done another 40 minutes with Bret Hart. Oh, no, no question, because he, he goes long, but he gives you such good detail in there. And by the way, anybody uh, talking about the 350 Days documentary, the biopic or biopic, as Adam Silverstein corrected me, it's a good film. Got a chance to screen it. And if you if you grew up in the 80s and early 90s wrestling like most of us did, you really get the inside story about life on the road, about, you know, the good and the bad, really good, good uh, docu to check out on that regard. But let's get right into what Brett said, because I think my opinion of him changed. Now, not my opinion of the legendary debate of the is Bret Hart top 10 of the Brett versus Sean debate. Not not really that stuff, but my opinion of Brett as a person, because, you know, Typically, it's something, you know, in character or not, how I stand on Bret Hart on the show. If you put the letter S in front of Hitman, you've had my exact opinion of Bret Hart. But after talking to him, and they say, you know, by the way, they say, don't ever meet your heroes, right? Because you'd be disappointed. I might have to say after this, don't ever meet your, your, en- your quote-unquote wrestling enemies because you may end up liking them. I really loved this version of Bret Hart. And here's what it comes down to. Is he a angry, old, bitter guy who blames everybody else, like a lot of people, you know, label him, like the Eric Bischoff of the world label him. Yeah, even after this interview, yes. But Adam, he stands for things, and I really respect that. Yeah, there's some retelling of stories, some old guy hate here and there. I mean, he may only like two people in the world, by the way, maybe Steve Austin and CM Punk and nobody else, not even people in his own family. But he stands for things. So this anger... There's some truth in there that I really, really agree with. I came out of here really liking Bret Hart, the person, the retired sports entertainer who's looking back on the business and looking ahead to where it's going. I felt we have much more connections and much more in common than I ever would have guessed. This guy's life is wrestling. So just like you and I get upset on a daily basis about Raw and SmackDown and storylines and things that are convoluted and don't make sense, he's seeing an industry that he gave his entire life to, really, his entire life, his family's, you know, livelihood and legacy all went to pro wrestling. And like he said, he's watching a phony bastardization of the thing that he grew up promoting and, and helping make big. Cause whether or not you believe that he's a top 10 wrestler of all time, or, you know, one of the biggest draws of all time at the time that he was on top in WWE, you can make an argument. He was the most important wrestler in the world just because before Sean really started blossoming, He was the guy carrying the water for the main wrestling company. So you can't take that away from him. So when you have that, the way he broke into the industry, obviously with the Hart Foundation, his family connection, you saw, we'll talk about it later in Pay-Per-View Rewind, how many members of his family were involved in (laughs) professional wrestling. Diana took a bump in the damn, you know, basically in the damn match. A big bump. Like you have, I've never seen anything like that. I, I forgot that even happened. Point is, 
he's upset at what wrestling has become. And I think we are too, just maybe not as much because when we grew up watching wrestling, you were closer to his era a little bit than me because you're obviously an old man and I'm not. Oh, how but, dare you? Well, it's true. Um, for me, it's the I want, I'm looking back to the Attitude Era. He's looking back to the 80s. Yes. And that's what happens when you grow up and you get older. You want things the way they were when you were involved in them. Well, he, so I understand where he's coming from. He certainly talks about himself in the third person, and that's, you know, that, that's what that's it, okay. it, it is what it is. But my point is there's a lot of retired wrestlers who are just trying to stay relevant. They're just trying to make headlines. They're just trying to say, okay, I know if I rip Triple H in this interview or if I rip Vince in this interview, I'm going to you know keep it around, whatever. I, what I love about Brecket here is he's – He's almost sober in his takes because he doesn't have a dog in the fight. Like, he's affiliated with WWE in a legend sort of role, but he's not worried about burning that bridge, nor is he trying to burn the bridge. He's just telling his version of the truth. And again, I can really respect that. I certainly can respect when he's attacking what he doesn't like about the business. I certainly can respect that one specific quote when he's talking about trips and the click in WWE today. It stopped pretending to be real, and they are quite happy pretending to be phony bullish. Nailed it. And they accept that as a moniker that it's okay to be phony. If there's one thing I pull out of that interview, Adam, and that was the first thing you emailed me when you when you heard it and read the transcript, like, wow, my brother and my brother, Bret Hart, of course, we come from the same wrestling era, but that might be the best summation of why wrestling fails today, even though it's it's huge right now. Wrestling is huge. It's going through a third revolution of my lifetime. But it's missing that backbone, and he nailed it. Yeah, um, it was the perfect summation, really, of what we find wrong with wrestling today and why people ask us, why do you guys spend so much time watching and discussing NJPW? And NJPW isn't perfect. Look, the guy is a stuffed cat, right, that he takes to the ring with him. That <laughs> We know it's like like Kenny Omega, I know this was an NJPW, but didn't like, oh, no, it was a Bushi maybe, like wrestled a blow-up doll, right, or something like yes. that. So there's things that, that there's things that are happening in wrestling outside of WWE, Joey Ryan being being an example um, that are phony, okay, and they break that fourth wall, and you and, you know being the elite, so so they're still doing that, but the rest of it they're keeping real. The Omega Okada matches, right? The Omega Naito matches, the storylines, Jericho over there, it's real enough where the guy who says it's still real to me, damn it, can can still believe in it. Whereas WWE, you can't believe it, not when you see. Braun Lesnar drag a, a porta potty 100 yards and dump it off a five <laughs> foot stage. So, so what Brett, but Brett's criticisms, here's the key his criticisms are not without merit. Yes. A lot of people can criticize for no good reason. He has a very good reason. He knows it has been better and he knows it can be better today. It's as simple as that. And look, everybody knows my issues with him. It's not really him. It's sort of like the same misdirected hostility of people that hate Roman. You don't really hate Roman. You hate Vince McMahon's booking with Brett. I just get mad at the people who lump him into a conversation into a upper room table that he doesn't belong i've said Correct. it before i've said it a million times if pro wrestling was high school right brett's that gearhead who works in the garage on his car all night and in the theater of life adam and you know this to be true chicks don't dig the guys who who work on the sports cars they dig the guys who drive the sports cars right they dig the hogan's the rocks the austin's the Shawn michaels and maybe i'm a sucker for the the a-sides in the long you know the guys who put the butts in the seats Brett is a mechanic, and he's a fine one, and he might be the best of all time. And if I'm saying he's the 16th best wrestler in history, people are going nuts. Look, there's nothing wrong with being the 16th best wrestler in history, or the 11th, or the 9th, or whatever you have him in the end. But what Brett stands for, and of course what he did in the ring, it was certainly ahead of his time. 
in many ways, not just uh, the commitment to that sort of real style, not just the idea that you can take a middleweight, if you will, and put the heavyweight belt on them and have it be believable. A lot of things Brett did. A lot of things he didn't do, of course, that people look over as well. But, man, one thing he's not wrong on, Adam, to dig a little deeper into what he said, the union, the WWE schedule in 2018, the fact that how archaic it is, the fact that with WWE's current financial boom right now, that they've never had more money than ever before. The fact that he brought up the XFL football players are going to have, you better believe they're going to have insurance. And here we are in 2018, and we have pro wrestlers still working five days a week and still selling their body to that level. Like, UFC got away with underpaying their performers, and that's how they sold for $4 billion two years ago. That's slowly changing, but Adam, UFC guys work three nights a year at most. WWE guys working five days a week. I know it's not an equal correla- correlation. <laughs> one's real and one's fake. Go but ahead. the fake one, the, it adds up, as we know. It's, it's, a, it's borderline as real as it gets. So when Brett is saying even circus performers and bull riders have a union, I did have a sobriety moment of, my God, it is 2018. And WWE guys are still contract employees with no health benefits. Like, why are we, how are we here? How is this a reality? No wonder why there's a revolution and there's people like Cody and Kenny and the Bucks going, you know what? I'm fine not living that life. I know you hate well, that debate, but Brett nailed it. Once again, I, I love know. you, Brett. I, I don't hate the debate. I think it's, like I said, criticism with merit. So I, I think it is something worthwhile uh, to converse about. It's just beating a dead horse, in my opinion, at this point. Like, Vince won the war, and his competitor in WCW didn't provide this. Those wrestlers weren't unionized. They didn't have health insurance. So that was 1997. Come on. I mean, no, no, no. So what, what I'm saying is the two biggest companies of all time went head to head. Right. And WCW won by overpaying superstars, giving them creative control, et cetera, that failed. Uh, and WWE won the war. Once WWE won the war, they set the rules. The winners write the history books, right? And the winners set the table. They write the rules. Uh, and the McMahon family and, uh, knowing who they support politically, not to get political on this show, um, <laughs> that entire group of people do not like unions, okay? That, it's not what they're for. So When you Vince say people, his... do you mean this guy? If you lose, I get to shave your head. Oh, oh had to, had to. Go back. Go ahead. Keep going. Yeah. I know you hate yeah. that. You hate that. You hate it. Hey, it's wrestling history. Thank you. Keep going. That's, what it sh- that's all it should have been, is wrestling history. Um, I, I kind of forgot where I was going, but point point is the winners make the rules, and... It's just a dead horse debate because it's not going to change. Like, even when Triple H eventually takes over one day, you know, Vince passes 30 years from now. The guy becomes the oldest Vince ever living passing. human. Stop it. So, so what I'm saying is it, that's not changing. There's no revolution coming in terms of all of a sudden they're going to pay for health insurance for all of them. And it's good. They're going to be unionized. Trips and, and they're Steph will have to. You can't stand firm like that anymore. In, in... I'm not saying it shouldn't be. I'm just saying it's not going to. So, uh, there was a man. So, who was... so it's like it's like we can discuss it ad nauseum. And the points he made are fantastic. He's he's right. Of course he's right. We're human beings. They're human beings. They should get health insurance and and they should get um profit sharing maybe of some type or, yeah. or points on something. Of course they should, but he's, they're not going to. He says XFL so, players will be treated as the finest cattle, as the wrestlers will get chicken feet at the bottom. End quote. You nailed it, Brett. You nailed it. All right. But just... again, you're but but again, you're comparing people that are bashing their heads in in a real athletic combat. Dude, and don't, not dude, saying don't, re- don't try that. No, don't try I'm that. It's, bad comp- it's just a bad comparison. It's you a really compare- bad comparison. You could argue that wrestling's worse for you. Come on. You're not taking, no, man, it's not. I mean, it's not good for you. It's still very difficult on your body. I'm not 
I'm not. Trust me, I am not putting down anything wrestlers go through. I could never do it. Don't there's eat. reason I'm. There's Take- reason I'm talking about wrestling instead of wrestling. My point is, you just can't compare it to guys going helmet to helmet. You know, hit hitting each other and guys getting knocked the hell out oh, in man. the octagon. If the Greek was here, it's not the same. ADL and admit you're wrong because you sound ridiculous. Oh man, Nick. First of all, I'm not wrong. We're not on opposite sides of anything here. Just I'm shut the f up and let the Silver King talk. I mean, it's very it's that simple. How about you guys shut the f up and let me talk for a minute? All right, okay? all right enough of that nonsense. Let's close out on Brett here. There's way a- to take way, way to way to take a, a legitimate conversation and just bring it all the way down to nothing. Like, dude, you're trying to you're, you're minimalizing. Did you hear it. what no, you said? You- did you hear what you said? You're trying to say like pro wrestling's so much safer than the NFL. Get the hell out of here. It's the worst. Those words literally never came out of my mouth. The difference I said is one is real athletic combat, and one is they're trying to prevent injuries and hurting themselves. They still get hurt. They're all not the time, trying obviously. to prevent. They're doing moonsaults off the top rope. They're not. They're doing suicide dives. They're not trying to prevent anything. Yeah, but they're not actually, oh, dude, man. I, I don't know how you are taking this stance, and you don't understand that one sport's fake and two others are real. Come on. If they, they learn they, how to fall. I'm not saying they're not getting hurt and they don't deserve you can't health insurance. Say that. And you can talk over me again. You can talk over me again so that people can't hear the rest of my conversation oh, or the rest of my point. But what I'm trying to explain to you is, yes, everything Brett said is legitimate. Of course they should have unions. Of course, of course they should have health insurance. Of course they get hurt all the time. But you can't compare wrestling to real sports in terms of what these people put themselves through. You don't see what NFL go th- players go through at the end of games where they have to ice down their entire bodies because they can't move. That's not to say wrestlers aren't tired, but it's a different type of competition. I think it's a lot closer than you're making it sound. No, I think not. any wrestler who heard you just say that would, would knock you out in a bar. How about we get back to Bret Hart here? I've been trying to. I've been trying to. I mean, you know, come on. All right. You got to love what Bret says in one breath. Giving you the inside details of him and Vince exchanging, like, happy birthday texts. And then in the next breath, kind of being all happy again, going back to the idea that he knocked out knocked out Vince. Like, I loved hearing that because, like, when it comes to the, to the screw job, right, I've always been on the... Brett screwed Brett. I have no sympathy whatsoever. It's the rare times Vince and I get in the same car and we drive together and we, and we think together. But when you really hear, and we recently, with the anniversary of the Screwjob, what was it, 20, uh, 20 year anniversary that just recently mm-hmm. happened last year, we got to dig up a lot of those details. And when you really dig it up and you hear what Brett told, told me that, you know, by the way, I had creative control down the stretch of my contract. And by the way, Sean said he wasn't going to play ball. It's a much more gray area than it is black and white. It actually, who was at fault? So I like that Brett is close enough with Vince where they can talk honestly and they can text each other. But at the same time, he's not pulling any punches here about the punch, about what happened, about why he's upset, about the reason why. And he can say all he want, Adam, that uh, 20 years later it doesn't bother him. You heard in his voice. It still bothers him. I bet every single day it still bothers him. For me, this entire conversation comes down to one thing on who you believe, right? Do you believe that Brett was actually willing to drop the title to Sean Clean like he says he was? Because if that's true then yes, he got screwed. But no one else agrees with that line of thinking. Like, no one else is in agreement that Brett was going to lay down for Sean at that pay-per-view. And, I mean, I think, wasn't the story that he said he'd be willing to relinquish the title the next night on Raw, even though his contract was expiring and he, he wouldn't be under contract? He would have given it to be Brooklyn willing- Brawler. He, he would have given it to anybody, he said. Right, but the next night, he wouldn't lose the title clean in the ring. And, and that's the side of the story I believe because more than one person, and when I say more than one, it's like a dozen, including Sean and including Vince, all say that. So either all of them are lying or Brett saying that he was willing to give the title to Sean clean in the middle of the ring 
is just false. And it's so great because it's it Montreal is a big part of that because he didn't want to do it in Montreal, but it didn't have to be that that was when it happened. Obviously, it could have happened before or after or whatever. I mean, it could happen at a house show. The I mean, thing is, he's the one that chose to sign the contract with the start and end date whenever they were. So if he had said, sure, let me sign on for two more weeks and I'll do it on a Raw, okay, maybe. But that's not the way that this story has been told and the way historically that we know this happened. I believe his contract started, was it the next night? Or something like that for yeah, WCW? Which, by the way, and I'm a big Eric Bischoff guy, but they screwed up big time not plugging in Brett the next night on WCW and waiting weeks and just sort of like taking away the, the heat that they had Look, at Vince, that moment. Alundra Blaze Medusa screwed Vince. He didn't want the same thing to happen. So when you have your world, and that was the women's title, which no offense, doesn't mean as much as the WWE title, or at least didn't back then, right? So now you can make an argument that's even more important. Um, but so when he has his champion, the guy that he built up, you know, in this entire company who he offered or was on a 10 year deal that he didn't want to pay anyway. Right. Like Vince, like it kind of helped him that he got all that money back. But when he has this guy say, Hey, I'm going to leave you for WCW and I want to remain champion at the last pay-per-view I fight. What, what else is he supposed to do? So I will always believe Brett screwed Brett in this situation, unless there is some type of proof that he was willing to do the job that night. And they just said, now nah, we're going to screw you anyway. Oh, it's and there's very been no gray. proof of that. It's very gray, and I live in that gray. And I've always been a Brett Spru screwed Brett guy, but now I live in the gray because I do hear these facts. And by the way, I caught a little bit of feels when he says, look, when I knocked out Vince, it was for the business. I stood up for those guys in the locker room. Uh, you may not, People may not believe that, that Norma Ray BS that he's spitting out, but in him aligning himself with CM Punk and saying, look, when Punk just did the same thing in that lawsuit, I saw a little bit of myself in him. I, I'll say this. I can respect that. I caught a little bit of feels when he when, because you can really see in Brett's mind and really see what he was doing. Right or wrong, deluded or not, he was believing that he was trying to protect the business in knocking out Vince and doing what he was doing. Uh, it's noble. I'm just going to say it's noble. If that it's old school noble. Believe. It's not new school because you can't punch your boss in real life. It's old school noble. All right. Well, I mean, you can't punch your boss in real life. You're just not going to keep your job, and he wasn't keeping his. So that that's what happened. Um, it, if you believe that that was the motivation, sure. I don't think that was the motivation. I think he was pissed that he got embarrassed in in, in Montreal. That's it. I think he was embarrassed. He got upset. He, he punched him. Now, in retrospect, thinking back on it, the action stood up for the business. But kind of just like CM Punk now, which he obviously drew that comparison or you drew that comparison, CM Punk was looking out for number one, as he should. In retrospect, he stood up for the business. But that wasn't his goal. That's not He didn't quit for the, for the guys, for the boys. He quit for himself. It's weird, though, because Brett, what I took from this interview of Brett the Man, that he's one of the last true cowboys of this industry, right? And he's trying to protect that, yes. a morsel of what was real to him 30 years ago, like you identified to start the show. And... Real recognizes real. So he looks at Punk and Austin as those are the legit guys. I think personally he still holds at least a 50% respect for Vince. Like there's still a respect there. But outside of that, have you ever heard him say something positive about any other person? Does Bret Hart like anyone else except for Austin and Punk at this moment? I don't. I also don't necessarily think he's been given the opportunity to because people want to know about the controversies. So it's like, hey, tell us bad stuff about Vince. Tell us bad stuff about Sean. Uh, he on his own... On, on, in this interview, kind of crapped on Triple H a little bit. And it's definitely, um, and well, Steph, yeah, but, uh, and the MSG incident, you know, um, click. I forgot what that was called. The, 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 what that, the, the, uh, what do you call that thing? Where, the where? too sweet with the click. I mean, I forgot, it was called something, I think. It was but, called the curtain, uh, the curtain, curtain call. call. Yeah, yeah. The curtain, curtain jerk. Call. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, he, 
there's so much. So it's kind of like us, right? Like people say we're not positive on the show when we talk about WWE programming, but there's so much to crap on that that's more fun. It's more fun to, to say, and 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 it's more relieving to get things off our chest that annoy us than to say, oh yeah, I really like that, or this guy was really nice. Yeah, but Brett has you no know? filter. I think that he's doing it just because he, in, in his core, he feels like, well, I have to be honest. I got to tell every detail that happened. I think if you asked him directly, do you respect Vince McMahon? He would have said, of course, and here's why, and blah blah blah. Now we had the falling out, but blah blah blah. So I don't, I don't think he. I think he's just put in the position to. He is a, a grumpy old man, and I think he's put in the position to be a grumpy old man. <laughs> All right, last point on the screw job. I didn't want to miss this, and I missed this with Brett. I had a lot of topics I wanted to get to, like you mentioned. Uh, in the moment, you got to say, well, I don't have time for this. That's a rabbit hole. I can't go down. I did want to hear his thoughts on the growing conspiracy theory that the screw job was a work and that it was the greatest work of all time. I didn't end up throwing him that fastball because I figured he would just he would just slam it and he would kind of repeat what he had said before. But I've talked to people in the business, maybe not WWE wrestlers, but I'll say people in the business who openly believe this. Openly. That this was the work and it's the greatest work of all time and it's these two that are in on it. After hearing Brett talk, I don't believe he could be wired to be in on it. So I don't believe that. And I believe a lot of conspiracies. I'm very open-minded on things. People may call me crazy. Call me crazy all you want. I don't believe this is work by any means. If, if there's a work involved, it was Vince strategically being smart enough to say... I can use this to my advantage. That's the only work involved. You want to know the percent chances that this was a work, BC? Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah. What kind of percent here? What are we doing? Can you Zero find it? Point zero. It was not a work. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's move on. To close here, <laughs> the, one of the biggest headlines that came out of there was, of course, he supports Owen should be in the hall. I completely agree. I didn't think he was going to throw Owen's widow under the bus that hardcore, though. I don't know the insides currently in their family at the moment, but man, he just. He just dropped a coup de gras right on him, you know? He, <laughs> he did. And, you know, it's he's not the first one to do it. I mean, I don't know what the relationship is. And like you said, there's some stuff that was on the cutting room floor here in terms of questions that you could ask him. But Mark Henry called out Martha. And he's like, what's the problem? Get this guy in the Hall of Fame. So I thought him referring to her as obtuse and doing more to ruin his legacy than support it. That is not just someone who is saying, yeah, I really wish she would do allow them to put him in. That's someone saying this has been an internal family fight that happens every year when WWE asks. Not, I'm not saying that's the case. I don't know the facts on it, but that's what it sounds like to me. Look, Brett, uh, Owen Hart, you want to talk about, we talk about, you know, who should and shouldn't be in the hall of fame, right? Owen Hart is a no doubter in the hall of fame. Oh, hell and yeah. he doesn't necessarily have the title resume that you would want, but he has the big match resume and the importance to the industry. And this match with, Brett that we're going to be talking about SummerSlam 94, uh, the WrestleMania 10 match, the expression on his face afterward, um, everything that he did in the interim, the turning on Brett by you know swiping his leg out from under him. That's it's, it's legendary stuff in WWE. This angle that they, they ran together is one of the greatest angles of all time in WWE history, in my opinion, at least. And for a key cog in that, a key member of this family to not be in the Hall of Fame. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I don't and think the debate is whether he should be or not. To me, it's a no-brainer. The debate is should yeah. they go above and beyond the wishes of his widow? It's such a messy area. You can go either way. I just say for the impact of the larger Hart family, which, by the way, one by one, they are slowly passing away. Brett just lost another brother, what, last year, I think it was. I, I just say put him in. Put him in. But I'm not sure, Adam, if you're Vince McMahon in WWE, you want to. Like, almost like, of course you want to recognize him, his death was your fault. So is there part of WWE? I know this is a controversial thing, but is there part of WWE that says, well, maybe it's a good thing that the, that 
that Martha doesn't want him in right now because how you know how do we explain that? Possibly, but I mean, you can't really whitewash it no matter how long it is. Like 30 years from now, if they decide to put him in, <laughs> it's still part of the story. Like, you don't have to necessarily say it, but I don't think anyone's going to be upset that you don't say it because, you know, there's people that die for different reasons in this industry that are, you know, controversial. Um, and this one is not controversial. This is more horrible. <laughs> you know, it was just tragic. The, wor the worst possible accident that, that could happen, you know, in a WWE ring or around a WWE production. So there might be some point to that. And they might be more concerned, not just with like the ceremony and all that, but the stories. Hey, WWE is in inducting Bret Hart. I mean, sorry, Owen Hart into the Hall of Fame. Here's how he died. You know, like the story that we would write, we would have to mention that on CBSSports.com. And they don't want we that. Wouldn't, they, so they don't want it being retold, I think. But I don't think that's a good enough reason not to leave him, not to not. Leave him out. I'm just saying I think they're, they're, they might be internally happy that, that they don't have to right now. He'll get in eventually. Yeah, the problem is he'll get in after Brett and everybody else dies. That's the, the problem. Thing I, but the thing I like that Brett said, because it wasn't just pertaining to his brother, because it really just echoed exactly what we've been talking about with the Hall of Fame. There are so many people in that shouldn't be. Yes. And so many people not in that should be that it's really a joke. It's not, not real in any way. And I don't necessarily believe that at any time there will be a real quote unquote professional wrestling hall of fame where they do it right and people vote and so on and so forth. But at this point, it's what Vince McMahon and his family want and who they want to be in there, who makes sense um, from a marketing standpoint, if they can tie it into a match or WrestleMania, that's what the hall of fame is about. Damn right. All right. Last point on Brett. We've gone forever, but it's worth it. Uh, man, did I pop for this discussion. Even though lately you've had some sunny days, my friend, you still can't get the job done. Holy crap. That was the best answer to a question that I was. I didn't know if he was going to go one <laughs> minute on. But Brett has to tell you the truth in painstaking detail. So the whole story on the sunny him telling it. I mean, to get a soundbite like this. To state for the record, I was not banging sunny ever. And, uh. I think Sean was, to be honest. And he was, by the way. He was, to be honest. Sonny said <laughs> it. Was. And Sonny has also said this publicly many times. Number one, I've never slept with Bret Hart. Ever. All right, so that debate's over, all right? We know what happened with Sonny. By the way, Sonny said that Vince used to let them use his dressing room, Sean and Sonny. I don't want to know those details. That's I don't know. That's too far for me. But holy crap, Sonny was hot back then. Holy crap, uh, that was an interesting discussion. And holy crap, I didn't know in that fight, by the way. I know about that fight. It happened in Hartford in my backyard. I didn't know that he dragged Sean around by the hair and pulled out chunks of it. Is that Brett telling the truth, you think? I mean, do you think that really happened? Because I would believe that Brett could kick Sean's ass in a real fight. But that sounds pretty brutal. Oh, he would definitely kick his ass in a real fight, in a shoot. Um, but I, I believe it because he made himself sound like he called it a cat fight. So he said, like, Sean's not proud of that. I'm not proud of that. So he didn't make himself sound grandiose and Sean, you know, a baby that had to be pulled back by his hair or anything like that. He made it just sound like it was a pathetic fight that was a lot of animosity that built up. And the result was a, uh, what do you call it, a tumbleweed of hair in the <laughs> locker room, which is honestly hysterical. And if we interview Sean at some point soon, which I hope we do, we have to ask the other side of that story. Oh, you're, you're damn right about that. All right, let's keep the Brett and Owen train going here with Pay-Per-View Rewind. It's back. I am fired up for this. Hey, let's, re let's rewind then, shall we? Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. You fired up for this? I am. I remembered the match, uh, as I said last week, when 
you thought it was the WrestleMania 10 that uh, was uh, Rico Grande at Rich Around 1501 suggested. I was actually kind of upset. I was like, hey, maybe we just kind of use that idea and talk about SummerSlam 94 instead. And then it turns out he actually suggested SummerSlam 94. So I was really juiced, um, you know, watching just before we even get to this match, turning on this pay-per-view on WWE Network. It Everything flashed back to me. I remembered where I was. Uh, I was, I think I was 10 or 11 years old at, at the time of this pay-per-view. It's one of the first WWE pay-per-views I think I ever ordered or my mom ordered for me or that I saw maybe in full from start to finish. Um, Tatanka was like one of my favorite wrestlers at the time. <laughs> this is a full feel the, house invasion for it you. It was, oh my God, it was feel spot after feel spot. The Undertaker versus Undertaker storyline. The two appearances by the Million Dollar Man. The Diesel Razor Intercontinental title match. How about that really weird Michaels, naked gun sh- angle that was interspersed throughout the show? That the, that was so like cheesy. Like, oh man, I hate that part of WWE history when they did that kind of crap. Yeah, well, they also had Walter Payton and Jared Payton, who was a child at the time, who I've watched in high school and, and, and college play football. It, it was feel spot after feel spot, but there was none bigger for me, BC, than the like 10-minute intro oh, so into good. the WWE title match. And 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 you you saw all the history leading up, and you, it, it reminds you that these were all right. I don't like this era of WWE because anything but what was happening in the main event was pretty much awful. But this was one they dedicated more than a year to. I mean, this was great storytelling, and to hear to to, to see that moment. What was it? Was that at the Royal Rumble when Owen turned on Brett the second time when they were in a tag team match, and he kicked the leg out, and you get this great soundbite from Owen. I kicked you in the leg, Brett. And it felt good. It really felt good. I had a lifetime of anger and hostility and frustration. And when I laid that kick into your leg, Vince, it felt great. Man, I love Owen. I don't want to get too deep in this without hearing Brett's side of the take, by the way, because how, how awesome is it to have pay-per-view rewind and then have one of the guys in the match to really go deep and break it down? Let's hear from Brett. Breaking down SummerSlam 1994, the co-main event, if you will, in Chicago at the brand new United Center for the WWF Championship, Bret Hart versus Owen Hart. Take us behind the scenes on putting that match together because that feud was incredible. That feud was incredible for 1994, by the way. Like that was really, really, you talk about storytelling and gritty wrestling. How much does that SummerSlam match mean to you? What was that like putting that together? Well, I think... um... I've always thought it was the best cage match in wrestling. And in cage matches, it's always a bloodbath. I mean, the, 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 the idea of a cage match was always the final, final, there's no nothing else to top a cage match. It's the final showdown in a cage. And uh, Owen and I were a little reluctant. The truth is, it should have been Bret Hart and Owen Hart in a ladder match at SummerSlam. But Shawn Michaels and Scott Hall stole my ladder match idea from me and used it up without me knowing it at WrestleMania. They kind of stole the idea from me. And the cage match was kind of like, I remember it's like, it's not the same match because the cage match, um, you know, you need blood. You got to have blood. Make a really great cage match. It's that vision of the wrestler trying to climb over the top. He's covered, his head's covered in blood, and he's fighting to get over the top, and the other guy's hanging onto his foot. Everything about cage matches, the, the suspense of getting over the top or going through the door, but the wrestlers are usually covered in blood. Any great cage matches were always bloodbaths, and uh, 
like I say, they're usually the final blow off. When I wrestled Owen in the cage, I was going, I don't like the idea of two brothers bleeding all over each other. I said, we're not trying to send that kind of message to our kids. And uh, I said, so we're going to have to have a cage match that's blood free. And that's going to restrict us a lot. And it did. There's no such thing. It's very hard to have a great match with a cage match with no blood. But we were determined to do that. And we used just the suspense of climbing in and out and the struggle of fighting to free ourselves of each other is the suspense of the match. And if you look at that and how we orchestrate that through the match and we're able to pull it off the way we did, it's still... I think it stands as a as a great cage match, but um, and I'm glad we didn't do blood. It would have would have been a lousy memory today. Bleeding all over each other and have my mom and my. That's where it ended right there. I cut it there, but uh, love that breakdown of the inside stuff about not wanting to go the blood angle. About have there is a line for the Hart family, right? They're carnies. They're all time great carnies, but there is a line that what they will and won't do, and the. Let's say the uh, the trouble with a cage match, trying to tell that kind of story, and then you see how Brett and Owen tackled that problem, how they laid out. It, it's it, I love the inside baseball of it. Yeah, I think maybe at that time that concept of needing to have blood in a cage match was legitimate. Now it's not. I mean, I, we have seen very good, maybe not five star cage matches, but we've seen very very good cage matches that don't come anywhere near to blood or gore or anything like that. So. I disagree with that statement in 2018. Then, though, I agree. I, I think they probably thought it did need it because Vince McMahon, throughout that match and in the entire buildup to it, he was on commentary. He kept referring it, to it as the most dangerous match in WWF. This is it. And it was. In 94, that was the most dangerous match they could put on. It's like the 10th most dangerous match they could put on now between <laughs> Extreme Rules, Street Fights, TLC, you know, uh, Hell in a Cell, Everything is more dangerous Porta than, pop a, matches. Yeah, yeah, than a still cage match now. So, so yes, in that time, everything he's saying is correct. What really took me, though, and it was interesting to hear his thoughts about the lead-up, because I'm going to go back to kind of what I was just saying before. It's how important WWF made that match feel, right? There was like a 10-minute intro video package that recapped every important thing that happened over basically a year's period of time. And that when we go back to talking about like the Ms. Daniel Bryan feud and our hopes for that long-term, that's the type of package that I want to see starting from NXT all the way through, you know, current day with them because there is an extended storyline in WWE, even when they give like the Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns preview, right? For WrestleMania main event, it's like three minutes. And maybe that's because Lesnar's only there so often and there's not that much to put and there's the storyline's only so good. But WWE doesn't build storylines like this anymore. And that's not just long-term booking, but it's being able to pay it off in a manner like this. That is what really caught me. And use the entire extended family in the way that they did and really sell. All right, let me just put this away so we don't get too far. I didn't realize that Brett blamed Sean and Scott Hall, by the way, for stealing the ladder match without him knowing. That was I know it's I, I researched and I found out that it is out there. That was a little shocking. Another nail in the coffin for Brett on Sean, by the way. So that was <laughs> that was a nice little nugget. But uh they sold why Owen would be mad and jealous so perfectly that you t- you just you buy it, you drink it, you put it right in. It was so great. And here's something we both agreed on. Jerry the King Lawler in nineteen ninety four. I forgot, Adam. When I think of prime Jerry King, right, you think of JR. You think of him next to him talking about puppies and and doing the what and all the sound effects and all the crazy. Holy crap, opposite hokey 
Midwestern Jim Mc, uh, Vince McMahon in the mid-90s, Jerry King as just an insulter is through the road. He's the best part of the broadcast. He's the best part of 1994. And, of course, the tie-in is the long-term hatred of Bret Hart, and they had a great feud and all that. But right. I want to play this one moment of Vince and Jerry going up to the Hart family in the front row with Helen and Stu and the extended family. I get a word with you in terms of this steel cage match. I, did you ever think it was going to come down to this with Bret against Owen inside a steel cage, Helen? No, not in my wildest imaginings did I ever think it. I think it's a fever that's possessed Owen, and I just hope he recovers from it someday. It must have been terribly upsetting, this whole issue, and I, I guess... I guess, Stu, you hope that it's going to be finished one way or the other tonight. I hope that the best wrestler will come out with his hand raised or uh, the best wrestler will uh, walk out of that ring. In one piece, I might add. McMahon, why don't you ask him the hard questions? Why don't you get him to tell the truth? You drove Owen to this, both of you. You know you did. You brought Owen to this. You kept him down his whole life. You and the entire family. You all did it. The only man... That's so brilliant. That's so brilliant, King interrupting there and just... So you got the idea of why Owen got to this point, anger-wise. And then you got Jerry King just hammered saying, no, parents, you're wrong. It's your fault. Great. Great stuff. Yeah, he, he was better on the mic then for a couple, two reasons in particular. One, because Vince was so consumed with telling the story himself that he didn't need anyone else to play off, so, play off of. So Jim Ross used Jerry to help tell the story. Vince did that himself, and he just... Then he would pause, and, and King would have the opportunity to shoot a line in there, right? The other thing is he was working pure heel. And in the Attitude Hour, he was a face and, and the puppies thing. And even when he tried to be the heel side of commentary, he never really bought it because everyone liked him. But at this time, everyone hated Jerry the King Lawler in WWF. That was the gimmick that he was playing. It just worked so much well. But you mentioned the family at ringside, right? Everyone was there, which was awesome, okay? But they also had already like singled out how Jim Neidhart had Owen's back historically in the storyline and Bulldog was on Brett's side. So you knew at some point, and I thought it was going to happen initially when, you know, 14 years ago or 24 years ago, however long it was. Um, I initially thought they were going to get involved in the match. Something would happen like that, but they didn't. They waited until the end and then everything kind of transpired. It was just great. And, and I got to be honest, before we get to the match itself, seeing Bulldog and Owen, it just was like, yeah, yeah. It hurt. It's, like, cause I love the British Bulldog, and obviously everyone liked Owen Hart, but man, that was rough. It it, it was in in its strong placement of the anti Jim Neidhart sitting behind the Hart family. By the way, who's that Hart brother with the leather jacket? Is that Bruce? He always thinks I he's think like, it was Bruce. He's always thinks he's too cool for school. That's great watching him. And a really lame pre match promo by Brett, by the way, where he blames Neidhart for Owen turning, and he stumbled over his lines. It just remind. It, look, it reminds me that. Brett is who he is. Let's not try to act like Brett is anyone else, right? That's not his that's not his forte. Holy crap, the first thing that jumped off when this match started at him, Mike Kyoto alert. Like, yes, I knew he was around then, but when you see him that young and you realize, holy crap, like 25 years later almost, this guy's still here. And the mullet on Mike Kyoto working the cage door. Holy crap. Yeah, the curly-haired mullet. I thought that was hysterical. Um, so talking about the match, did you notice that the cage seems small. I think they've raised the height because it was tiny. Like the, yeah, the that's jump, the 15 footer. That's the old Hogan. Bundy. It was really, it just seemed, everything seemed small to me. And, you know, looking back on it, the, the structure, it was better. First of all, just the house, the simple, the simplified cage, just blue bars. That's it. And the rules of the match too. It's escape only, which is what yes. I always believe 
that steel cage matches should be. If you want a pinfall or a submission, that's the Hell in a Cell match these days. A cage match should be fully about escaping it, and I think it cheapens it when you can get a pinfall or a submission to end the match. So I loved, like Brett was saying, it was entirely built around the escape. Well, it had to be. In cage matches these days, you see them climb a million times. They maybe try for the door once, and that's it. They tried for the door a million times in that match. That's the drama. And it was so genius the way they did it. And not just that. They did it early. But so Owen attacks Brett right off the start. So they, they continue the storyline of, of where Before that's going. Bell. And then they get into these spot after spot of one guy making a break for the door. And that's realistic because the idea that you can escape through the door, I've always had a problem with in cage match. I always thought it should have been over the top. Now, I know that eliminates fat guys basically from having a chance. But the door always felt too easy. And you're like, while somebody's... You know, stomping someone on the ground, you're like, why don't you just turn around and run for the door? Well, if Brett just put over how real he makes things, they really did that. Anytime there was a chance, one of the brothers ran for the door, and the other one made a diving save to the point where Owen or Brett would be halfway hanging out of the ring, and it built a level of intensity and drama that I fell into the mark zone. I was a fan again in the 90s re-watching this last night. Like, it was, like, still real to me, damn it, and they made it real. And, again, a cage match without 2018-style theatrical wrestling, to make it this good, you got to clap and applaud them. Well, one thing also, and it goes from the pre-match into the start of the match, and the commentary as well. It felt like the biggest match in WWE history. It wasn't, but every single thing, every element, it was a family rivalry. There was a year-long storyline. Um, they had to settle in a, ca- in a cage after Owen got the, you know, surprise uh, roll-up or fold-up win at WrestleMania 10. Uh, you know, and, and just everything that was at stake and on, and, and it was a championship match. The title was on the line too. So every single thing was building towards this match is important. And every single should have been the main event, by the way. Well, so that was I was going to mention that later, but uh, so everything was building up to this match being extremely important. And everything that happened in the match told you that it was important. By That's way, why it was so Speaking good. of important, SummerSlam 94 presented by the Chicago Sun-Times. How weird was that when Vince dropped that in the middle of the match? Made made not a lot yeah. of sense. Hey, little screw-up, by the way. They show the live cam of Helen and Stu at ringside. By the way, I didn't mention it when we played that sound drop. Stu is so blown. He's so washed in, like a, <laughs> in a lovable way. He always was, though. Always, always. He was never not washed. I love the videos of him stretching people, of yeah. course. I love that Vince had to fill in his sentence because Stu had no idea what to say in that moment. Uh, Helen gets caught cheering on camera as Brett drops a big leg drop on Owen. And King calls her out for it, which is hilarious. And then Vince blatantly lies and is like, she wasn't cheering for either one of them. Stop it. Nice little screw up there moment. But here's my point on watching the action in this match. It's easy to forget how much bigger physically Owen was than Brett. And by the way, Owen was better on the microphone. And by the way, I said this before, I'll say it again. As much as I love Brett, Owen could have been a bigger star if pushed properly. And I really mean that. I'm not saying he's a better in-ring performer than Brett. I'm saying he could have gone farther if pushed properly. And again, that's not a dig at Brett like it might sound. It's actually a compliment to Owen that he had the foundation to be a superstar. And I always felt they held him back to a degree, even in his highest run. I still feel like they were putting him in things that didn't make sense. And it just showed you in this match the potential, the look, the body, the move set. Oh, my God. He was doing moves that was like missile dropkick off the top rope. That's, you know, 10 years. I mean, he was always doing that even as the Blue Blazer. He was doing moves you'd never seen before. But it reminded you, Adam, that in a different setting, with a different booking and a different push, like if Owen had been in WCW in the 90s and giving a big push, he could have been a star. See, I don't necessarily agree that he 
would have been or could have been a bigger star than Brett. I think from what we like in a professional wrestler, he could have been better than Brett. No, like we wouldn't um, hold the same opinion of Owen that we do versus Brett when we compare him to Shawn Michaels as an example. But Owen didn't have the look Brett did. Women didn't like him as much. Kids didn't like him as much and probably wouldn't have because he would have been working heel the majority of his run, even when he, you know, would switch back and forth. Okay. So to that end, I disagree, but there was no question watching that match. Who would I have preferred seeing in another match? If I had to watch one immediately after Owen, I would have rather seen Owen Shawn Michaels. That would have been a better match. And that's not to say Brett, uh, Sean wasn't, weren't good matches, but Owen's probably the better worker all in. Um, and that, again, that's not really insulting Brett. That's just how good Owen was. Owen was legitimately good. And like you said, he really proved it throughout the match. And it wasn't just so much the wrestling aspect of it, because Brett's a good storyteller also, but Owen was able to tell his story entering the match, during the match, and especially after the match. And he's told his story better. He told it so perfectly. And, like, look, it, it's, it echoes the tragedy of Owen's death because he died at 34 when, look, your prime as a wrestler really is, like, 35 to... I want to say 45, but not everybody makes it that long. But really, 35 to like 42 is when mentally you catch up to where you are physically and you figure out how to do this business. Brett turned 35 in 1992, right? Right at the beginning of his absolute prime and, and run at the top. So it is heartbreaking in that regard. But shout out to Brett. That's superplex late in the match. That's an awesome superplex off the top rope for 1994, for 1987, for even 2018, because they sold the exhaustion and pain from it perfectly, and they're both laying on the ground, like, afterwards, out cold almost, because it was Brett making a dramatic save. You nailed it earlier, but I have to say it again. They made the story matter. That stopping the other guy from winning was the only thing that... It's always about the story, Adam. You don't have to have a seven-star match. Move-wise, the story's got to be the foundation. And Brett... Reverses Owen Sharpshooter at the end. There's, there's, there's the moments where they're both climbing the cage. And then you get to that finish. Finish, fantastic. Yeah, uh, Owen slipping his leg in the cage. I mean, I they didn't, they didn't necessarily explain it. Like, Vince didn't call it. Like, oh, he slipped and his leg stuck or anything like that. But his leg, he put his leg purposely, obviously, inside the, inside the cage. While they're both on the outside, Brett's able to jump down. Owen is kind of hanging by one leg. Um and really what, what transpires from there was just as good as the match itself. And I include it because we're going to give it a grade in a moment. I include the post-match scuffle it really in the match. So Neidhart's upset, right? He's sitting with his wife. He clotheslines Davy Boy Smith, <laughs> the British Bulldog, and Diana Smith together over the barricade, which was incredible. Diana took a massive bump. I could not believe it when I saw it. I totally forgot that that happened. Um... Then goes attacks Brett. Uh, you know the rest of the brother. They all they throw him in the cage. They throw Brett in the cage. Lock the cage door. Bulldog and the rest of the brothers are all trying to get in. It's comical Eventually though. The, all the Hart brothers are trying to climb the cage on the outside along with Bulldog, and nobody can get over it. And for a while, Owen's jumping up and punching one guy down, and then you know Neidhart was too. Yeah. But then it became like, hey, Hart brothers, can you can you climb a damn cage? Like they actually took so long to climb it that the heels escaped while those guys were trying to climb in. Well, yeah, of course. But look, people are also on the top rung of a ladder and can't grab a damn briefcase or title. So, like, I was okay with it. I didn't, I did not think twice about it, honestly, in the moment, especially then in 1994. Like, who, who really cares? But that all went down. That all transpired. Uh, and then this is why this is why it was so much better. Then they go, but they follow Owen back. Oh, I got that sound. I got that sound. So I'll, I'll get up to it. 
explain yourself, explain yourself. What are you doing? Owen's brushing him away. And then Todd Pettengill finally catches up with him. Jerry the King Lawler says something to Vince McMahon on commentary, which really sold it and brought it home. If you say that Bret Hart was the winner, then I'd rather be a loser because Bret Hart took the beating of his life, didn't he? Admit it. That was a tremendous matchup, and thank goodness they both actually have, have survived that uh, steel cage match. Nonetheless, the hitman Bret Hart remains the World Wrestling Federation champion, Jerry Lawler. What about Stu? What about Stu? I don't know if they're going to make it through the night. <laughs> you talked about the post-match, like, if we count it in the grade, bumping it up. It's really the Owen, in, in, by the way, the Anvil interview was awful. He stumbled through it. He dropped a, Oh, Anvil, he, come on. You can't compare He him. dropped Go a G-damn in there. But uh, so good. And then you mix it with Vince selling, putting the tying the bow on, and then just, you know, Jerry King just being hilarious, dropping a Stu Hart reference at the end. Wow. Dave Meltzer in 1994 gave this five stars, Adam. What do you give it? So there's no question for me it's the best cage match I've ever seen, especially when you add everything else, because I do. I I'm The match matters, right? But Dave always takes into account crowd reaction, work rate, so on and so forth. So let's take all that into account and the surrounding picture. Just the match itself, five stars. But if you're telling me to grade the segment, right, from start to finish, the 10-minute preview until the end, it's five and a half stars. There's Whoa, whoa. I whoa. there's not there when you because we're looking at it now, they're not telling stories like that. Even Daniel Bryan's run up to WrestleMania 30, even Shawn Michaels' return from the back surgery, um it, nothing, nothing compares to a storyline told that well. So again, I'm sticking with five stars for the match. But I'm just saying, if we were really grading the segment, we're grading the it whole was, thing. The whole it thing. was above. It was above perfect. The the end, the segment, the end, the the talking, all that was perfect. I, I don't. I don't think it's controversial. I think it's a four and a half star match in the end, because you got to grade for modern times, right? There's five star matches back in the '80s that don't deserve to be five star matches in 2018. Right? If you put that match on today, it's a five star match. For this era, it's incredible. The storytelling is what saves it. Obviously, the in ring work is still good too, but they're limited in a cage. All things encompassed, four and a half stars, and it was damn good. And I and it pulled me back in. My stomach was tied in knots that time. I'm very happy. I love this match. Very happy for what they did in a cage match. And oh, you're giving it four and a half, all encompassing. All encompassing, four and a half. Wow. Wow. We're we're we're, we're further off than I thought we would be because that. I mean, maybe it was just because I had such feels the entire pay per view, like watching it back. But I mean, that's everything that we pine for. It's everything that we ask them to do right now. I don't know what else you would want. To get another half star. It's the best wrestling you could have for 94, 
even with the limitations of a cage. But look, it's not 2018 wrestling, and I think the the star system has changed. It evolves over time. Four and okay, a half. I'm there's sorry, nothing. I'm to sorry. Sh- I'm sorry. Will Osprey wasn't in the match instead of Bret Hart. Well, look, it still has. I, I love the match. I'm not down. Like I, four and a half star match was great, right? I the first I just, time I, I watched. I just want to know. I just want to know what's what's not there again. It's not a yes. We're arguing over nothing. We're really splitting hairs. We here. really I'm, are. Yeah. I'm sim- I'm simply saying like the match for if you're saying the match was four and a half. I thought the match was 4.25, and then I bumped up to 4.5 because the ending was so good. And I think that's just a a market correction for 2018. But uh, look, if you said it was 4.3. What about for 1994? 1994, it's it's five stars. It's top shelf. It's it's a great setup to how good Austin Bret Hart was, right? Because that was even better. That that was almost five and a quarter. So So now Meltzer would criticize you. Here's why he would criticize you. Because... He grades match the way what he says what he explains about his star system. He grades matches in the time and place that they occurred, not in 2018. He doesn't go back and regrade stuff. So that's kind of why I'm taking issue, I guess, with what you're doing. Not saying that you have to grade in that same manner. No, it's, any- it's a fair debate. It's the whole Sergeant Pepper debate, right? When Sergeant Pepper came out in 1967. You never heard music like that. Of course, it's a five-star album. There's people from that era that say it's the best album ever. Go put on Sergeant Pepper right now. It's pretty damn good. It's not a, fi- it's not a five-star it's album. It's not five stars. Yeah, yeah it's no. not the best album of all time. It's it's yeah. just there was a certain thing that happened, and then it, the game changed. So wh- whatever you want to call it, it was damn good. It was voted the feud of the year by the fans by PWI. The postscript was really that they kind of moved on from each other, and Brett went on to lose the title in a submission match at Survivor Series to Bob Backlund, and we know where things sort of went from there. But fantastic look back, and we mentioned it should have been the main event. What was the main event? I don't think we should talk about it, but this Taker versus Taker garbage that uh, spawned this sound effect in the lead end. You know, the other day I was working, and guess who walked in? The Undertaker. I couldn't believe it. This guy was huge. Bryn, did you see The Undertaker? Yeah, he went down the slide, and that ultimate thrill ride wasn't his last ride, though. It was he had many, many more rides. So you're you're, cr- you're crapping on it, but I like the vignettes, and I, I no that part show, was fun. The, but the idea of the match, making it the main event, no title at stake. I'm no, not it, like, should, it, it shouldn't have been. But you know what it did? It did teach us a lesson. We're upset about AJ Styles not main eventing every pay per view as the WWE champion, right? While Brock Lesnar's absent completely. There were times I forgot that this didn't main event. There were times where the WWE Championship, WWF Championship, Bret Hart versus Owen Hart, a match that we just said sounded to us and felt like to us like the biggest match of all time, was the second main event of the show. So it's not abnormal for WWE to do this. It did teach me a lesson that I wasn't expecting to have been taught from that show. True or false, though? Fake Taker played by Brian Lee. This was the pre-cell phone era. True or false in your heart of hearts? Did Brian Lee play Real Taker a couple times at house shows and no one knew it? No. And true or false, was true uh, or false was this the preemptive cursor in Vince McMahon's mind when Hall and Nash left and he came out with fake Diesel and fake Razor Ramon, where he's like, "Well, I've done it before. Let's just do it again." That's a good question. Uh, I'll say true because it worked. I mean, it main evented the show. The crowd was in. Like, we may have thought it was ridiculous, but people bought into it. I say true, but I have a feeling, like, another writer was like, well, why don't we just create the characters ourselves? God damn it, that's a great idea, you know? So I don't necessarily think that he came up with it because it worked before, but I think this was proof that it could um, be okay or accepted by the audience, I guess, is the best way to put it. But, man, fake Diesel and fake Razor. 
they miscalculated on that one big time. Hey, shout out to Rich Around, our guy Rico Grande. Shout out to Bret Hart for joining us. Many thanks. So much fun to do the pay-per-view rewind. And Adam, if our listeners are not already watching CBS Sports HQ, the live 24-7 streaming, you put it on your TV, put it on your phone, put it on your iPad, you're going to get the best highlights. You're going to get Nick Costos. You're going to get me talking about sports, all that stuff, all the fights you want. But you can also get the best highlights and the biggest sports stories right in your inbox every morning with the CBS Sports HQ newsletter, packed with all the good stuff you need before you start your day. So when you check those DM slides, before you even get there, why don't you check out the CBS Sports HQ daily newsletter? Go to cbssports.com slash HQ daily to subscribe. Okay, BC, the promos are over. The interview is in the books and pay-per-view rewind has been rewound. So why don't we talk about wrestling this decade in Hero or Zero? Let's start with the close on Monday Night Raw, where we saw Braun Strowman grab a porta potty, drag it 100 yards through the backstage area, and dump it off a five-foot stage with Kevin Owens inside. He came out covered in that blue goo, I guess, that that cleans the toilets, or, or I don't even know what the hell it was. Um, BC, here are zero to this entire segment and really what they're doing with Braun Strowman and Kevin Owens. This this. <laughs> This was the. I don't, I don't know how to ask. I don't know how to ask the question. This honestly. was the ish, and shout out to our buddy. It's Dusty Allen on Twitter who hit us up and he said, "Too bad that porta potty wasn't in the ring, so we could have played this." Look at all of this crap in this ring. Ah, uh, this is a zero. It's a big time zero. You get what they were trying to do, but what they're really trying to do is once again go back to the well of here's Braun Strowman. He's a strong man. We don't actually have a real storyline for him, so we'll just put him in a situation to showcase his strength and do some Vince-approved potty humor, because you know this was a VKM original here. The problem was that it took forever for him to drag it into the arena. Why would he drag it into the arena? You're telling me KO couldn't bust through some duct tape, and then they flip it off a five-foot ledge, and KO's covered in the blue meanies crab. I mean, no, I'm sorry. No, it sucked. It's a zero. It's just like, no. But here, but Adam, honestly, if the episode had been better you would forgive it a little more and you'd be like, all right, it was cheesy, it didn't work. But then WWE doubles down with that PR fake press release email, uh, tweet and just get it, get off my timeline, bro. Hey, give I me have, four hot minutes and get out of here, all right? I thought the fake Clutch Sports press release tweet was the best thing that happened on Monday night, honestly. I kind of enjoyed at least that they made an attempt to be relevant. Uh, unlike this, which was straight out of, like, Carney Vince ridiculousness. I mean, they let me let me put it like this, okay? Braun Strowman is over. People like him, right? He's the most over. He's not the most over. He's not the even most close. Over. You know he's it. not. You know and, and, and this is why. You think he's the most over because when he feuded with Roman Reigns, people went nuts for him. Reigns got Braun Strowman over as the number one star on Raw because yeah, it's he not was all Reigns, not though. just winning over. He was not just winning over the fans that liked him for being big and strong and funny and so on and so forth. But he was also winning over the people that hated Roman Reigns and wanted to see him get his just due. So Braun Strowman was over as all hell. But what they've done since that is make Braun Strowman lame and corny. He's a strong man. He can push things. He can pull things. He can flip things over. Outside of that, why the hell do I care about Braun Strowman? I don't. 
And I'm going to tell you something else. The fans don't either. They do cheer for him. I'm not saying he's not over. He is over. But the response that he gets compared to Seth Rollins or Ronda Rousey is night and day. This is not the Braun Strowman feuding with Reigns. This is Braun Strowman that's been watered down and is a cartoon shell of himself. They have decided, it seems, to push this guy. They gave him the contract and the opportunity to be the next Universal Champion. I mean, whenever we see the Universal Championship again. But they've taken a guy who is red hot and watered him down into a lukewarm bath of water. Zero on this. Zero to what they're doing to Braun Strowman. They're ruining every single person they try to build up. Yo, you, I mean, look, in general, I'm bored, brother. and the fans are too, but don't, don't, I mean, come off the ledge here. They didn't ruin him. They're just pressing pause for like four months and it, it kind of stinks. And it, it actually ruined what was a really good performance from Kevin Owens. I thought their whole episode to keep this storyline going. And then, I don't know. It was just ever since, power ever lane. since it's, Brock Lesnar defeated him with a single F5, it's been downhill for Braun Strowman. That's not saying it's bad, but he reached a peak. And at the peak is when you want to give the guy the title. Yes. And it's been a slow decline ever since with this being the worst of it to date. Yes. Yes. And don't I mean, Nicholas Roman Reigns all worse, the credit. But... He got over big because of these ridiculous things they're able to do with him. Grappling hook, that kind of stuff. Look, that was fun. That was fun. But you got to tell a story sometime in the middle of it. Adam Hero Zero, number two. By the way, lightning round edition. Let's keep this going so we're not here for three hours. During an interview with the UK-based Gorilla Position podcast, Daniel Bryan said, quote, do you trust WWE with telling that story, meaning the Miz story, from now until WrestleMania 35? He laughs. Like, what in the last several years has shown to you something like that is possible here? End quote. Hero or zero to this being Daniel Bryan sending a message, a warning message to WWE creative that says, if I'm going to resign with you later this year, you better do me right and do this Miz feud what it deserves. Hero or zero? So to that particular question, it's a zero because I don't think Daniel Bryan is that diabolical as someone like Shawn Michaels might have. And it's funny that Michaels trained him. Um, Shawn Michaels, if he did an interview like that, you know, 15 years ago, that's exactly what he would be doing. In fact, he would probably go into the interview and tell the interviewer, make sure you ask me this question because I, I, I have a good answer for you. OK, I don't think Daniel Bryan did that. I think it was a legitimate, genuine response to a question that the question that was asked was, do you want this feud to blow off at WrestleMania 35 and last that long? And then he gave that response. So, I mean, it's the truth is he was like, it's a zero to your question, but he's hundred percent, right? Obviously we can't trust them to do that right now. They have not proven based on anything they've done to tell us that that is going to work. I mean, maybe the closest long-term storyline they've really been able to pull off is new day Usos last year. And I don't even think that they expected it to go that long. They just kept building and building and building. But when you look at the Brett and Owen Hart thing that we've discussed in the entire show, Ms. Daniel Bryan has the opportunity to be just as big as that. And I think we're all concerned that it's not going to get there. Yeah, he wrote everything you said except for the part where it wasn't calculated. Of course it was calculated. Daniel Bryan's an artiste. It means more to him to do this story right than it does for money and contracts. I still think of the back of Daniel Bryan's mind. He knows it would be a messy thing, but he still wants to jump across the street, be a free agent, play around, wrestle Omega here, wrestle Punk here. He's, he's an indie dude. He wants to come home, and you know it, deep down in the cockles of your heart, Adam Silverstein, and let, you know this, man. Let me ask you this. Did you only hear that clip, or did you listen to the entire interview? And by the way, everyone should go listen to this interview. It's very good. Gorilla Position podcast with Daniel Bryan. I have not heard it yet, by the way. It has okay, not well, slipped into the rest of that interview, if you listen to it, it was, I think, 20-ish, 30-ish minutes. Again, very good. There's nothing else in that interview 
that makes me believe one iota that he wants to leave WWE. I know the, the man's rest. Heart, of, all right, I know the man's heart. Okay, you know him. Be- you know him better than than he can. Uh, you know, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, you, you know mean? him better than he can express himself in what seemed to be a shoot interview that was very well done. Yeah, yeah, you're damn right. I do. Let's keep it rolling. Okay, we will do exactly that. BC Roman Reigns on Monday opened not the 8 p.m. hour, not the 9 p.m. hour, and not just the 10 p.m. hour, but all three hours of Raw and suffered a pair of beatdowns despite picking up two wins via disqualification. All, all the while, all while this is happening, the announcers are questioning whether Reigns' ego has gotten the best of him. So hero or zero, that this has the potential to go anywhere other than Reigns being continually and stubbornly pushed as a babyface conqueror? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, it's a zero because you can't trust WWE right now, but this is seed planting for what should be what we all want, which is some form of a Reigns heel turn, even if it's not an official heel turn, some form of a he's just so frustrated with the situation. Now everybody's calling him out because you know what WWE just did? They just buried their baby face again. They just made him look like a maniacal, ego-driven jerk. But you can't have any confidence, Adam, that they're going in that direction. So I say zero because even me, powers of positivity, the king of optimism, is just beaten down. No, this is going to go back to him being Superman. And the best case scenario right now is that Braun cashes in on Roman rather than Roman just beating Brock clean and walking away as the champion. Like, and even that, like, no. no. So the, the question as posed is whether this has the potential to be something beyond the babyface. It does, but deal. they don't have the potential as a creative team. Even though three weeks ago I said, you know what? I feel like they're done. It. No, I don't feel it anymore. Well, because three weeks ago it did feel like, oh, maybe something is happening. And then last week was, oh my God, no way. It's not even, I, I told you you were dead wrong, right? This week, there's enough, there's enough here where if WWE chose, and this is where the word potential comes into play, that they could go in a different direction because it's just so mind-boggling and, yes, convoluted. Because think about what happened Monday night. They have him ready for the hot tag with Rollins, right? And Rollins unable to get to him. And they kept teasing it. And they worked the crowd into cheering for the hot tag and cheering for Reigns. And they were ready to just burst for him, okay? And I was shocked that the crowd actually in Sioux Falls, South Dakota was buying into that, okay? Then the Revival attacks him and beats them both down, hits the shatter machine on Reigns, and the babyface is getting hurt. And the crowd feels bad for him. And it's working again. But then what do they do? They go back to the Lashley storyline where Reigns is just annihilating this guy for really no good reason whatsoever, completely comes off as a heel, and then goes into a match with him where he refuses to tag him, which is a heelish move. But then at the end of the match, the commentary team is putting Lashley over as a heel Uh, for walking out on uh, Reigns as opposed to Reigns being the heel for refusing to tag him in. So, like, from one segment to the next, it doesn't make sense. I, I don't know... Like, where do we go? You can't have confidence. There's like, and they're exploiting Reigns, you know, to open each hour to get the ratings. It's just, pick, pick a way, pick a, <laughs> pick a, pick a road, WWE. Like you have said many times, they should have just, you know, take, given them the belt at WrestleMania to end this. They, they pick a road and go down. And I, I'm, I'm sick of talking about it. I'm sick of trying to have faith in them. I'm sick of, and, and, and every single time it's like, you all bought it. You all. 
No, no more. I'm not buying it anymore. In fact, I'm not going to watch. No, I'm just kidding. I already been down that road when it was really bad. I'm going to watch, but I don't really want to watch, and that sucks. I should want to watch. Anyway, we got to keep rolling on this lightning round edition. Hero Zero number four, Adam. The great Dr. Shelby returned to Raw for a series of interspersed and pre-taped counseling, ses- counseling, counseling sessions involving Bailey and Sasha Banks on Monday night. Hero or Zero, that the return of this man has continued this feud going in the right direction. So it's strange because the first time he debuted, right, Team Hell No was something that they were trying to keep together as a team. And Sasha and Bailey, they're friends, but they're not tag team partners, right? So it doesn't necessarily make sense that they're going with the counseling angle here. That said, they had no choice but to bring Dr. Shelby back when they decided that they were going to do counseling. So for continuity's sake, congratulations to the WWE for having that. And for Dr. Shelby having a picture of Team Hell No in his <laughs> office that was visible during the counseling session. So I did really like that. I, a lot of people in my mentions on Twitter were upset that WWE took this storyline that had the potential to be a nice, strong, blow-off, violent feud between these two and are injecting comedy into it. But I think you saw at the end of the first vignette on – not the first vignette, but the end of the first series of vignettes on Monday night – they got into the heated battle, you know, verbally between each other. And I also think it's clear where I thought the first match was going to happen at Extreme Rules and they were going to blow it off at SummerSlam. I think the first match is going to happen at SummerSlam. So it seems to me like they're using the counseling session to continue prolonging this feud for a couple weeks to get into the SummerSlam build with them in the ring live on Monday Night Raw. So because of that, I'm going to give it a hero. I'm going to give WWE the benefit of the doubt here. But yes, ultimately, it needs to move on from this quickly yes a slight hero i guess in the end it moved the chains you love the nostalgic pop i love seeing dr shelby actually get been out of shape at the end and try to break them up from arguing his experiment there little there failed look it was all right let's see what happens next let's keep it going all right last up here on hero or zero Tommaso champa on nxt last wednesday challenged alistair black for the nxt championship hero or zero to champa being the best overall heel in wwe right now and then separately whether you prefer a Black Champa match instead of the trilogy finishing up with Johnny Gargano at the next NXT TakeOver. Interesting, interesting here. Um, When I first read, you know, Champa being the best heel in WWE, I was like, whoa, 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 come on. Is that a, did, did Silver King write this? What, what are we doing here? But you really think about it. He's playing that role perfectly. He's in a system in NXT where you feel like he's got more freedom to play his true character. I don't know what else he's allowed to add into it comparative to the main roster, but certainly we like the presentation of NXT and the dialogue and everything more. But then you start to think about the main roster and there's guys that should be better heels, but they're not booked in the right situations to show their true personality because we live in this weird world of 50-50 booking and 50-50 personality. And you don't really have a true character and heel and baby faces distorted and thrown all around. NXT, they do it right. They do it real. Yes, Tommaso Ciampa right now is the best heel. That's a hero. And would I prefer one to the other? I almost can't answer that because we have to have Black Ciampa to get to the trilogy with Gargano because it's only going to be a perfectly told story in the end. If Johnny wins, of course, because the... In true wrestling storytelling, the babyface must win in the end in this type of in this type of story, and he must win a title. And since we've already seen the physicality type matches, the stipulation matches between these two, let's have a classic how good can you do in an actual wrestling match with the NXT title at stake to get there. 
We got to have Ciampa beat Black. So, yeah, obviously I want the trilogy match more. But if this is the layout in front of us, Adam, heck to the yeah. Fire it up at the future of NXT. So you're saying hero for both. Hero to Triple H and everything that's going on <laughs> in black and yellow right now. Thank you. <laughs> so I don't disagree. And to uh, note for everyone listening, I know some of you may have pre-read the NXT taping results and spoilers. We don't. So we're, we're t- when we talk about NXT, we're talking about it live in the moment based on what's been on television. We mostly do that for you. And because it's nice to kind of suspend, you know, that it's taped. You know, I don't, I never really liked knowing results, especially when they're fun and exciting. So I don't know what's going on from here. What I'm curious is whether Gargano gets involved in this. And cause it seems like he's saying, I'm not done with you yet, Ciampa. And they maybe do a triple threat match for the title. And if so, what does that mean? And if, and if, Ciampa does beat Black. Is Black done in NXT? Because I don't really see anything else for him to do outside of the NXT title picture. Is it time for him to move to the WWE roster and add yet another name to this just overflowing amount of talent that they have and are not utilizing? So I don't necessarily know the answer. It is a hero because it was my question that Ciampa is the best heel in WWE right now. I don't even think it's close. And I actually think number two might be Shayna Baszler to be honest with you, or Undisputed Era as an entire group. The best heels in the business right now in WWE are in NXT. Regarding the match itself, I would really prefer to just see the one-on-one match and blow things off at Brooklyn and allow these guys to move on. But you know what? What you're presenting with the title and Ciampa winning the title and Gargano taking it off of him in the final end to the trilogy, it's better. So How about bearded Gargano, which we saw him in that interview backstage, and you saw him a little maniacal. What if he helps Ciampa beat Black. Because part of your disbelief right now is Ciampa's such a good heel. But I don't believe he can beat Black in a one-on-one match under kayfabe. No. So maybe Crazy Ciampa helps him just to set himself up for a chance at the title for the Ultimate Grudge match. That'd be interesting. You would think there'd be a rematch there for Black, but... Yeah, yeah let's no, see I mean... Black fight Gargano afterwards. Black fight, like they're really gonna fight. You know, have a, have a program with Gargano afterwards. I don't know. There's a lot of good stuff coming either way. Look, Trips doesn't let us down. You know it. You know. The point is delivers. all of that. The point is all of that, despite it, some of that possibly being convoluted, would all work, and we would trust Triple H to book it correctly. Whereas throwing such a scenario out in WWE right now, you can't trust for it to happen. That's fair. That's fair. All right, we got to wrap up episode. here. We got to wrap up and let the sliding into the DMs commence. It is, and we got one from Michael Cunningham at PSK102. I want to read this diatribe he sent us about this week's Raw episode because I felt he was right the heck on, Adam. Here we go. Michael Cunningham says, I just can't anymore with Raw. I just listened to Kurt Angle tell Kevin Owens that on Raw we settle things in the ring. Really? Really? He's literally spent weeks doing the exact opposite. Rousey tried to settle things in the ring and got suspended. Bailey and Sasha put it in a match, question mark. Nope, counseling. Roman and Lashley both want to settle it in the ring. Nope, you need to be partners. Braun Strowman actually does something worthy of punishment, and he gets a match. I'm done, end quote, says Michael Cunningham. Adam, he nailed it because Ross sucked this week. It was last episode, last week's episode, replay it again, and I'm not ready to jump back off the ledge and say I'm never watching again, but damn, he just nailed that. Well, there were a couple good episodes of Raw following your, you know, decision to just completely depart from watching the show. It, it lasted less than a week because you watched it the next week and we talked about it on the show. So there were a couple good weeks in there. But yeah, this was the third straight week of the exact same stuff at a WWE. It's the same storylines on every episode. There's nothing different happening. And 
Extreme Rules is July 15th. It's pretty damn, it's 13 days away or less. It's pretty close. So they need to start moving with this. It doesn't make any sense, but this does go back to what I said on last week's show. Kayfabe, Kurt Angle might be the worst GM in the history of WWE. Like people talk about John Laurinaitis and, and some of these other guys, but Kurt Angle, his decision-making in kayfabe from one series to the next make absolutely no sense. The guy makes a match and then it gets rescinded the next week. It, it's just mind-boggling. Like nothing that happens on Raw makes real-life sense. And like Bret Hart said, it's just too phony now and there's no more realism. Whereas SmackDown, you can at least suspend your disbelief still. I think that's the biggest difference. Well, the only difference there, and I agree with you, but the only difference there is that Raw is run by a heel head, which is Stephanie McMahon, and SmackDown is a babyface show. Leadership but both, GMs, but both GMs are faces, and even the Corbin situation is not helping. Like, like Corbin was added kayfabe-wise to help Angle make better decisions, and things have just gotten worse. Yeah, I mean, look, did, do we need Mojo telling the same story for the third straight week? No. Do we need Matt Hardy and Curtis Axel in the same match, same result for the third straight week? No, this is ridiculous. Oh. All right, slide in the DMs. We've got another one coming in. Who we got? We got Brian Paulson at B Pauls with a Z, 68. Not a question. He just says, so the new four horsemen, Revival, Ziggler, McIntyre. Let's light this candle. Let's light this candle. Exclamation point. It's lit. It's lit, brother. Brian Paulson, you're right on, bro. I've wanted a rehash of the Four Horsemen for so long. I've pitched the ideas in the past involving Bobby Roode, Charlotte. But the revival have always been in there because they're Tully and Arn. They, they live that spirit. They're alive. And they're not being used, by the way, except for to wrestle Roman Reigns every week, which, is, which could go in a good direction. You hope this would be absolutely perfect because you touched on it earlier with the hot tag in the Reigns-Rollins tag match against Ziggler and McIntyre. That was a fantastic TV match, Adam, to the point that normally when you throw together these haphazard tag team matches involving people that aren't natural tag team members, you don't get the old-school house show tag team Rock and Roll Express type of feeling all the time. This restored my faith in that. This was fantastic. And a lot of that is because Ziggler and McIntyre are really freaking good right now. Yes, if you're going to reboot the Horsemen and make an actual faction that works and matters and is badass, similar to what we're seeing with Undisputed Era, let it be this four. This would be perfect. Ziggler's the, the flair. This is perfect. We got muscle. This is great. We got workers. The, what, what, what was the revival known as when they started next year? The mechanics. They're the mechanics of the team. Them and Bret Hart. They're under the hood. They're not getting the women. That doesn't matter. Go ahead. What do you got? No, no. I mean, it, it's, you know, every time we discuss the Four Horsemen, we've always, or a potential new Four Horsemen, we always include basically Charlotte and or Bobby Roode, right? But this is the four. Like, if, if you're going to do it, and you don't call it the Four Horsemen, you call it something else. But if WWE wants a faction, like, this one really makes sense. Because you have Ziggler as the mouthpiece, the guy with all the, no pun intended, flair of the group. Like you said, you have Mac, and, and he's the mid-card guy, right? Even though Flair was a main eventer. He's the mid-card guy. Then you have McIntyre, who you push in the main event role. He gets to feud with Strowman and Lashley and Reigns. And that tension between McIntyre and Reigns on Monday night was fantastic. Woo. And Reigns let McIntyre look strong against him, which was really cool, too. And then you have a tag team, like you said, old school, that are totally believable in the Raw tag team division of being the champions. Whereas on SmackDown, you have Usos, New Day, Bludgeon Brothers, Team Hell No, and The Bar. There's like five teams you'd rather maybe have as champion over the revival but on raw in that type of group it would totally work so yeah brian uh paulson not you bc um yeah this would be awesome but do we trust wwe a to let this happen no and b to create a faction on the main roster no 
So this is where we stand. And shout out to, we didn't get this DM in, but from Eddie at Team Guaps. He popped huge and was super excited to be see Reigns and Drew McIntyre in the ring together. He's like, fifth main event for WrestleMania. I'm with you, Eddie. Let's, let's roll that out. Drew McIntyre is at that level. Him and Reigns would be a heck of a program. But Adam, this was a heck of the show. We'll skip past the field spots this week because my field spot was all about Bret Hart. Special thanks to Bret Hart and everyone out there. July 12th, one night only, nationwide, 350 days the biopic, the documentary about life on the road in pro wrestling in the 80s and 90s. I want you to hear that. A lot of great discussions, bringing back the old school topics. Brett screwed Brett. Yeah, he may have, but it was great digging it up and going up and down the road. Enjoy the 4th of July. Get out there, crack a cold one. All right, Adam, you got any great plans you want to tell the people? Maybe they can meet you somewhere. The the fans, they want to hang out with you. Well, I'll be down by the beach, boy. Oh, hey. Yeah, I was kind of hoping for the sound effect. Thought I tried to lead you in again, but look, slow on the trigger finger. It's okay, BC. I can't be outside produced. of that. What, what'd you say? I can't be directed and produced. It's impossible. <laughs> um, outside of that, no, no major plans. I will say it is kind of nice though that we get this long break from the show, and it's only an extra day, but from the show and maybe from wrestling too, because what's about to happen in July, the G1 climax, twenty eighth. And Extreme Rules, and then the lead into SummerSlam is going to be a lot of wrestling to ingest, leading into kind of the end of WWE second season and into the start of football season, which all of a sudden things get really crazy again. So I think this is a nice, you know, eight days or so to kind of rest, relax, and reset a little bit. Goodbye, and good night, Ben. We out.